Welcome to the First Five Podcast. I am your host, Michael Corey, and I'm joined by my co-host, Drew Gotro. And today in the studio, we've got one of the Lake Charles OGs, uh, a guy I've been wanting to get on the podcast for a while. I remember the early days of the first time I saw him uh, pop up with some hilarious comments in our Lafayette chat. And uh, I've had a bit of an affection for him ever since then. Uh, please welcome to the podcast, Chase Bonin. <laughs> Yay! Okay, I don't know what to do. <laughs> that, that was sufficient. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you've you're primarily you're based in Lake Charles, mm-hmm. uh, but you've spent a lot of time here too, right? Correct. So you've had the opportunity to kind of compare scenes and and yeah. kind of see what's the best of of what everybody's got going on. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a preference? Uh, well, no offense, um, Lake Charles, but <laughs> Lafayette, like, so Lafayette scene's always been great. When I first started coming out here, I think it was like 2016. Mm-hmm. And it was at the time we had a scene in Lake Charles and it was like starting to kind of like fade away. Mm-hmm. So I started coming out here more and it's just, I think everybody has talked about him so far, but Tyler was <laughs> yeah. definitely one of the first people to start to actually like get me mm-hmm. like encouragement and like, Hey, you should come out more and stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, just from that experience and just the shows have always been really fun and good out here. And uh, for years it was lacking mm-hmm. back home in Lake Charles. And then now it's starting to kind of like stack up a little bit more. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Tyler, um, we were talking about how you seem like your, your trajectory, like lately you've, you've kind of hit a gear, like a new gear. Mm -hmm. And uh, I saw your set at the station and was really impressed. This is, I haven't been there in a while, but the last time I was there, you were there. Mm -hmm. Very impressed. Uh, I've been hearing consistently good stuff about everything that's going on at OBs. You having good sets there. Um, What do you attribute? First of all, do you feel that way? Yeah, um, I guess it is kind of weird because I took um, a break for like a couple of months, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then since I since I came back, kind of just reset everything. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's been going well. Well, Tyler had mentioned that. Have you done any have you done any comedy producing on your own outside, like kind of separate from the Lake Charles comedy thing? Like, have you been putting together shows and stuff? I haven't recently, but I did before. Like, mm-hmm. so like Jacob's like the dude in Lake Charles now, which is yeah. great. He's doing a like super good job, mm-hmm. better than anyone else in the, in Lake Charles has done before. But before Jacob was around those like few years, we had like a, uh, we had a couple of dudes. We had like Brian Petrie and some other dudes and they were like producing shows. And then I kind of like Brian moved away or quit. And then I kind of took over for a while mm-hmm. and I was doing, my own thing and then jacob came and he's actually doing a good job at it yeah but uh the stuff that i produced this like i was more i used to do uh shows at my house Mm -hmm. and then i had like a couple of bars that i would work with yeah and they were like okay shows the ones at my house the ones i would do in my garage more specifically were always like the super fun shows Mm -hmm. that i would actually have touring comics seek out to do my garage which is kind of an odd thing yeah but mm-hmm. it was like I would give them a place to stay, I would feed them, and then I would put out like a tip bucket and they would make a pretty good amount of money to do a show in Sulphur 
in someone's garage. Yeah. For like 20 people. Right. And if that was like a pit stop in between larger markets, it it, Mm -hmm. it only makes sense if I'm going to crash somewhere. Hey, you know, that's interesting. So do you feel like the producing was a net zero or do you feel like in terms of how it impacted your ability to focus on comedy, did it improve it? Did it harm it? Did it not make a difference? Um, that's probably didn't really affect it much. Cause I was just like, I mainly wanted to produce shows so I can see comics that I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Like that was the whole goal. It was like, okay, I I've been following this person for a while. Let me see where they're going to be at. And then let me see if I can get them a show. Mm-hmm. And I started doing that pretty much to bring comedians that I liked here so I can see them personally. Yep. And then it was just a plus that I got to be on the show or host the show or whatever. Mm-hmm. As far as it uh, making me any better. I mean, I guess any stage time technically can make you better. Sure. But I don't really attribute that as to me getting better. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like you said before, I think I've been getting better recently because I'm not having to focus on things like that. Yeah. So once you can just get out there, <laughs> worry about the material that you're going to do and not have to worry about how a show is going to go and how mm-hmm. the turnout's going to be and stuff like that. It's definitely yeah. a lot easier. Well, that's Tyler had suggested that he had said that something, I don't know if y'all had talked about this or this was just his, picking up on what was going on, but he had kind of suggested that maybe with you not having that on your shoulders, mm-hmm. because Tyler to me, like he's producing a show now mm-hmm. uh, he's co-producing it with, uh, with Josh Watts, but he, he seems to prefer to stay away from, you know, anything that's a distraction. He, he's very passionate about standup as an art form. It's his primary thing. He's said many times it's his only thing. Like he doesn't yeah. do anything else. So I think he probably understands where you're coming from on that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's a thing about producing shows. There's like a business side and I've noticed with some people it's then if someone else is booking them, they just automatically expect that they should get booked. I've kind of noticed mm-hmm. and not every person yeah. producing shows is killing it and with the audience you know yeah that's and that's hard too because and that was another kind of another reason i started like producing shows was like you know i scratch your back you scratch mine and it works sometimes but yeah if you're not doing well then they're not going to want to bring you to their city you know yeah yeah i think jacob actually had said that on here that when he first started mm-hmm. um when he first started producing comedy shows he was very new to comedy mm-hmm. And he wasn't really killing it consistently all the time. And he was like, man, I booked these people. Why don't, why don't they book me? And then he said he realized he's like, oh, well, there's a difference between me and those. Part. You yeah. know, there's a reason for me to book them. There's not as much of a reason for them to book me. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I had the same epiphany at some point mm-hmm. where it's like, OK, well, like they appreciate coming here and like I pay them and stuff like that. But. I'm definitely not killing it. So why would they bring me over there to just mm-hmm. bomb in front of their crowd? You know? Mm-hmm. So, Do you find that like hosting shows that it's um, harder to gauge how your material's doing? Like when you're doing jokes in between and you're doing like a cold open. <laughs> yeah. Um, hosting is definitely one of those muscles that I just can't seem to work out very well for me personally. Uh, 
it just doesn't seem like I do very well. And then that's a conversation I've also had with Jacob before where it's like the host set's always going to be the weakest set of the night. And uh, that may not be true for like every host, but it's definitely feels that way for me and some like people that I know pretty well, just because it's like, like you said, you're going out. The first thing you do is you kind of set up, you establish rules and then you're getting everybody to stop talking. You're getting the music cut off and doing all that kind of stuff. You're taking away all the fun (laughs) that they were experiencing. (laughs) And then you're like, now pay attention to me. Right. And it's like kind of awkward to, to get that going. And then another thing that a good host can do that I'm not very good at is crowd work. Mm -hmm. I noticed that if a host can throw out some crowd work there and get the crowd interacting Mm -hmm. with them, that usually is a better host set than just me going up there saying, listen to these jokes I wrote about myself. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I have seen all of the best comics that I know when they've done a host set, it's always gone the same way. You know what I mean? So I I don't, I've seen the best of the best be just kind of have like very lackluster uh, responses from the crowd. Uh, Drew, is that something that you've. Yeah. I've noticed that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and I think it's mostly what what Chase was saying, you know, they have to go out there and they kind of have to like be the, uh, like the babysitter or something or the two, they got around. All right, come on. All right, class, sit down and yeah. settle. You know, they're right. not, uh, there's so much more responsibility they have and yeah. it's harder to make, to make that go. Mm-hmm. That's uh one thing I noticed that Jacob's getting really good at though, is the banter in between comics. Mm-hmm. So like when he hosts, it's like the host said, it'll be whatever, but it's like, he always has a good joke about, the previous performer set or a yeah. joke or something like that in between. Mm-hmm. I don't even mess with that. Honestly, I just yeah. get up there and I'm like, okay, that was fun. Here's the next guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, if all else fails, if you don't have anything, it is good to just kind of keep the momentum going and, yeah. and just keep going yeah. to the next person. And to me, it seems like that type of thing is more crucial. Mm-hmm. If the person that just got off had a, like just had a bad set. Yeah. And the audience is talking where you have to kind of get them, you got to kind of warm them back up again for the next one. Mm-hmm. But if the comedian gets off the stage, just had a great set. I feel like best thing you can do is get that next person up there before they, before you lose that. So they can start Yeah, with, they can have something good to start with. Mm-hmm. Have either of you hosted anything yet? Drew's done I've, some, yeah. I've done like the second half of the open mic on okay. at atmosphere. Yeah. And uh, it's a, it's a good, it's a good place to practice. Mm-hmm. Because if you do if you do poorly, there's very few witnesses in that second half. Half the comedians are outside already. Yeah. Half the crowd left because you go up after the headliner. So yeah. it's a it's a good place to to play around with it and kind of kind of yeah. learn it. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed it. I hope to do it a lot more soon. Yeah, they there's been a couple of people suggested maybe I should try to do that. And I've thought about it so far. I just feel like with, between the podcast and work and trying to do stand up and also like working the door for Lafayette comedy shows, I feel like I'm in max capacity right yeah. now, but I also think there's, there's no way around it. I got to start doing yeah. that. And, and the yeah. thing about the ho- the host thing is you really, if you were planning to be at the mic, the whole, if you were planning on staying to the end anyway, there's no real extra preparation for you to do. You're still going to be working on your little five minute set that you plan to do when you go to the open mic anyway. Mm-hmm. 
and anything else after that is pretty much everything after that is just going to have to happen. And the, there's nothing you can really do to prepare for it is, you know? Right. So, yeah, I, I stay in my head a lot. So when I, when I do something like host or when I was producing shows, like I was just full of anxiety the whole time. So I think, and like you said, cause it's like, Oh, all you have to do is your five minutes, but it's just like, it definitely like affects that. Oh yeah, it so, does. Because the couple of times I've done it, like, mm-hmm. My sets were not good mm-hmm. because the headliner just it's the second half the headliner finished, so a lot of people are leaving yeah. after that. So you don't have that much of a room and it is kind of a switching gears type thing is happening. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then it's a different thing too. Like if you're running your own shows, like I'm doing the second half of Tyler and John Merrifield's show. Yeah. So worst case, I'm just fuck up their show. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Nothing on your back. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. So what kind of stuff do you, is there a pattern to the types of like topics and stuff that you like to write about? (laughs) There's not. um, So I think lately a lot of the stuff that's been doing well and working well for me is like just how awkward I am in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I have a lot of material about being married and like kids and stuff like that, which like, I mean, who doesn't, you know, and right. it's just, but I notice, and those do well. Like I have, I think I have strong jokes in those, uh, areas that do well, but the stuff that's been working really well for me is just like kind of that being honest about who I am as mm-hmm. a person. So I've, what I've been doing lately is trying to go back to old, old material that I just kind of like scratched years ago and see if I can find that within that material. Mm-hmm. So there's not, I don't, I don't ever sit down and just think of like, hmm, I should write about, you know, right. whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just whatever happens, I'll think about it. And then I'll just go from there. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I think we're all kind of, we've all sort of concluded that any sort of sit down and intentionally write about yeah. something. You know, we all get tempted mm-hmm. to do that at some point. And I've heard about people doing it, but like, yeah. but I don't, I've never met anyone that can do it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people say that, oh, I write from the stage stuff. And I don't normally do that either. Like writing is mostly in my head. Mm-hmm. Like if that makes sense, yeah. like I'll think of an idea and then I'll just, cause for my job, I drive for most of the day for a few hours a day. So I'll just drive around and I won't listen to anything. And I'll just like, if I'm thinking about a joke, I'll just over and over in my head, I'll rewrite it, rewrite it, rewrite it. And then yeah. by the time I get on stage, I'll try it that way. And if it works, I'll keep it. If it almost works, then I'll, you know, go back, I'll go home and just lay in bed at night and try to retool it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I tried something brand new last night. Um, and then I found out that we were going to have like five minutes, which is a little bit more than what we're used to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was like, well, I can't just get up there and do the new thing. Uh, I got to do something else. So I did something that was kind of new that has been working. And then I went into this new, new and man, it's crazy how you'll, I was so proud of this joke and mm-hmm. thought it was so great. And then got up there and did it. And it just kind of didn't, you know, every little tag in it just didn't work that well. Mm-hmm. And my reactions to them not laughing at stuff sometimes was funny. Uh, yeah. But the joke itself just wasn't working. And then I'm sitting in the shower and I'm like thinking I'm driving home, 
talk about to my wife a little bit. I'm in the shower and I'm just thinking about all these different things. And you're like, all of a sudden it just gives you this new perspective of like, oh, well, you know, I guess it's like you, you, you don't give yourself the benefit of the doubt because you try, you tried it. It's, it's no longer a theory. You tried yeah. it, it didn't work. And it, and it just, sometimes you have to do that. Mm. And then that unlocks, um, a more critical part of you that's able to more see better. Why? Oh, well, I guess I should have known it wasn't going to work because, you know, these two <laughs> points are too disconnected or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's weird how that works. Like, just how you'll think of an idea and you're like, there's no way this isn't going to fucking kill. And then you say it out loud. And sometimes even while you're saying it, you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. And then it doesn't hit. And you're like, obviously, that wasn't going to work. It's so, <laughs> so weird how your perspective changes in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And some some stuff, it is like that. Well, like, I can say it. Be like, well, no, I'm saying it. This is this is fucking crazy for me to be saying this. And I understand why no one likes it. But sometimes it could just be like a, just a weird crowd or you said mm-hmm. it weird or something. Because that happens like, I know that happens to all of us where we'll have like this bit that does well mm-hmm. and it's consistently doing well. And then all of a sudden one night it's like you're getting nothing for some reason, you know? Yeah. But, it, but I've had like some, a lot of stuff though, that if it doesn't work right away, like if you really if if you really like it, then keep doing it and keep yeah. working it because that I have a you know a joke about you know fucking your cousin, and uh, that I got so much pushback on that when I first mm-hmm. started doing it, and I mean and I should have because what I started out with was just really really gross. Mm-hmm. It was more gross than funny, and it was not working. So, but I just kept. I liked it too much. I was like, I, I do know that this is funny, mm-hmm. but I need to fix. So I was like, just cutting, cutting stuff out that didn't need to be there and yeah. kind of changing different things. And, uh, it works pretty good. Now it doesn't work too good at Lake Charles. Cause, uh, I think it hits too close to yeah. home for yeah. y'all. No one sees the irony in it. They're yeah. like, of course. They're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm here I was after her for two years. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I know what joke you're talking about. And it, yeah. it is really funny. But, and then sometimes it's just all in how you present the material. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not really the crowd. It's sometimes it has to do with like where it gets put in the set sometimes. Yeah, that can, yeah. That's a big thing too. That's what I'm always, I never know that. I've been open with the same joke for like the past couple of months now, just because I know by the end of it, I'll get some kind of reaction. Mm-hmm. When before I would try to find just, I, I would never know how to open a show. And I would try to write like little one liners or something like that. Cause it's like, you're supposed to just get out there and try to get a laugh as soon as possible. But if, if they're not a consistent, like one liner. So finally I just kind of, I'm just going to dive into a joke. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing lately with that. But yeah, I, I never know how to start a set. Yeah, I do that. I did that when I did that every time when I first started because I didn't know how to do anything else. Yeah. And then I started trying to kind of figure out something, uh, something to do first, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, clown the host. Yeah, find something in the room or something find something that's happening so i usually still do that but sometimes i don't have any ideas so i'll just kind of just get into it that's that's typically what i do because like like i said i spend so much time just in my head 
like when I'm even when I'm out at a mic and it's like I'm talking to people, it's just like I'm not thinking about anything other than the set that I'm going to do. Whereas like you'll have some people like get on stage and they spend like the first minute just either riffing off of other people's jokes or ripping on the host or mm-hmm. talking about the room. And I'm just like, and I'm looking around like, Oh, these are all obvious jokes, but I never thought of any of them just because that's not where my head is at. One time I was at an open mic and there was a fucking clown, a literal clown, a literal clown, <laughs> not do it dressed up like a clown suspenders and nose mm-hmm. funny hat. But sitting at the bar, like just having like long, long shift of clown work today, you know, too many birthday parties. And I was like, man, I really they were like pulling names out of bucket. I was like, I really hope they pull my name soon before someone acknowledges this clown. And then no one did. And I got up there and I was like, you know, I'm kind of high right now, but I'm not the only one that sees this fucking clown by the bar. Just, you know, being a clown or whatever, like, this is crazy. And uh, it wasn't that funny. But um, I forgot why I'm telling this story. But <laughs> You're talking about riffing off of yeah. stuff in the room. Yeah, but, but yeah, like, stuff like that in the room where it's like, uh, it, yeah, it's funny when someone will say something and you're like, how the hell did none, none of us yeah. pick up on that, you know? Mm-hmm. So you write about stuff that's your kind of like your personal stuff. Did it take you a while to get to the point where you could focus on just being yourself and writing about your, what make your unique perspective on stuff or, or how did, how did that evolution take place? I think it's taken me a while to get to, to realize almost like less is more, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Cause when I first started out, like I still remember the first thing I ever said on stage. Like I got called up, it was a music open mic that my buddy was hosting and he had been knowing that I wanted to do comedy or whatever. And he just like calls me up at like midnight and he's like, Chase is going to be funny. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I just told a story about, I used to like change oil and I told a story about fucking picking up this lady's uh, drain plug and just looking at her and being like, what am I fucking doing? And it was like, it was just a story of what happened to me at work that day. That was just kind of absurd and it worked. And that's what I should have stuck with. And then after that, I was like, Oh, I guess I'm a comedian now. Let me start writing shit. And then you just, I would overdo it. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just writing. I'm like, okay, if I describe something like this and like this and like this, that's hilarious. These, you know, just to describe a situation this way. But it always ends up working better if I just describe it how it happened and then give my reaction to it is usually what's funny. And it's taken me almost 10 years to figure that out. Yeah, what's funny too is like I would I would advise the exact opposite of what you just said to anyone else starting. You know? Typically that's not what you'd want to and typically most people try to do that and they fail miserably. But for you it works for you. You know what I mean? It works for yeah. you. You know, I guess you're just like a natural storyteller where you can tell a story and like you said, with you know how to give your reaction and yeah. stuff like that. But I'll see people that they'll come, it's like their first open mic ever, and they'll go up and they can't wait to tell this story that they tell all mm-hmm. the time and everyone laughs when they tell this story and they get yeah. on stage and just bomb with it mm-hmm. because 
it's not the same. You know what I mean? It's not the same thing. If a funny story to tell people is not usually a funny story to tell on stage without doing, making it like a stage bit. Yeah. Cause there's always like, regardless of what anyone says, there are rules to comedy. I mean, it's like, you always have to have a clear setup. There always has to be like specific, like beats and mm-hmm. like punches and stuff like that. As to where, like when you're just hanging out with your homies telling a story, like they're they know your personality, they know how it's gonna be, they already know a little bit about the story. So when you reference, you know, Janine was there, everybody knows who Janine is. Yeah, but right. Yeah. On stage at an open mic, nobody knows who fucking Janine is. So that's not <clears> gonna be funny. funny to watch people realize as they're telling the story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean you'd have to know. Yeah. Just the, the way they stumble over is so funny to me. Or the they'll literally I've literally seen people at open mics tell a story and then be like, you would have had to have been there. Yeah. And it's like, you can't do that here because <laughs> nobody here had, was there. And you yeah. know, you knew that before you started telling the story. Yeah. I'll have people tell me like, they'll bring up a thing that they, that I said like three years ago. That was mm-hmm. funny. Remember that thing? Yeah. You should say that on stage. Now, Mike, these are people that never come see me. have yeah. probably never been to a comedy show ever. Oh, you should say that. Like, well, first thing, I'd have to explain my who my grandmother is, mm-hmm. you know, and talk about her. Like, there there would be so much set up to this, this one funny line I said that it's just not worth yeah. it, you know? And they're like, you can always tell that they still disagree. They're like, okay. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, people's perspective of what comedy is when they don't actually do comedy is so wild. Like. To me, anyway, because mm-hmm. it's it's always like that. Or you always have the people that are at work. They find out that you do comedy. Oh, you do comedy? You probably just talk about me all the time. It's like, what, yeah. <laughs> what makes you think I think about you outside of work? Yeah. Like, you're not that important to me. But I get that at every job I've ever had since I started doing stand-up. Somebody that I don't give a shit about thinks that I'm just telling jokes about them. And it's never a funny person either. No. It's never a funny. Because there's usually there's someone at work. That you probably could have a lot of material yeah. about, but that's not the one that thinks your act is all about them. I've literally, I've written one joke. No, I'm sorry. Two jokes about the same guy that I worked with when I was changing oil. And that's the no homo joke that I do. And an, uh, another one that started kind of bringing back about how he told me that if I die, I was going to meet Jesus. And I'm like... Who do you think I am? <laughs> I'm going to heaven. But, and the, and it's, the jokes aren't about him. The jokes are about something that he said to me and how I reacted to it. Yeah, right. So, yeah. But I'm not going up there like, oh, my God, I was working with Sam and she smelled like dog shit. Like, yeah, that's not funny to anybody. Cause they don't one thing. They don't know Sam and they don't know that she never washes her hair. So, yeah, they um, my dad called me one time. And then he's like, hey, I got a joke for you. You can use it if you want in, in your act. And he tells, obvious street joke, you know, mm-hmm. not a bad joke. Don't remember what it is, but he tells me the joke. I'm like, yeah, that's funny. He's like, yeah, yeah, you can go ahead and use it. I'm like, no. He's like, no, no, you can use it. And I'm like, first of all, it's not his joke to be giving me permission to use. He's like, I, I saw yeah. someone named Dave Chappelle do this. You should yeah. try it out. Oh, yeah. Someone at the store drinking coffee told him this joke, you know, it's some other old man. And I'm like, I can't, like, I have to do things. I said, I can't tell that because it's not my joke. It's a street joke. I was like, it's not even your joke. I said, I can't just go tell 
we don't just go up there and tell jokes we heard. Like I write original material. And he was like, uh, he's like, no, nah, no, nah, comedians, they just go tell jokes. Like, and I realized I'm like, no matter how successful I would be, mm-hmm. he would never appreciate it because he thinks all we do is just tell jokes we heard. <laughs> yeah. Which is what everyone does. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then he probably just like everything, he's like, he's probably thinking like, why's that boy got to do everything the hard way? You know? <laughs> He's writing his own shit. Writing his own stuff when he can just say stuff. Ever, like, and, I, and he probably thinks that, like, man, he could probably, if he, like, however good I'd be doing, mm-hmm. he would think, like, he'd be doing a lot better, you know, yeah. if you would just tell some other f- jokes instead of, ta- you know, yeah. having to do it, do it such a hard, complicated way. That oh, And I'll always get the, like, if I do say something funny, like, off the cuff, talking about, uh, some friends or coworkers or something I always get that. Oh, you should do that mm-hmm. on stage. It's like, I can't do that on stage. Yeah, yeah. Like nobody knows. That's the thing. Context. Nobody knows the context. Yeah. You want to go up there and just say, it's like this funny thing that happened. Yeah. So. I mean, there are ways to do that. You, there are definitely, t- you know, things where you have to tell somebody a story and mm-hmm. there's things that you have to build in to make sure that they know or understand X, Y, Z before you, get to the next part or whatever. There's definitely a way to do that. Um, but I think you got to start with inspiration. You got to know mm-hmm. that this is a particularly yeah. good story. I think that's part of my problem too, is like, I, I talk so much shit. Like I'll post all kinds of dumb shit on the internet. I say stupid things to my wife and my friends all the time. And I'm not, none of it is like, I guess inspired. It's just mm-hmm. something that I said mm-hmm. off the top of my head that I'm never going to say again. And that like, and then when I get the whole, like you should, you should talk about that on stage. It's just, I'm just like, I didn't care about what I just said. It was just a dumb thing to say. If I'm going to tell somebody something like I want it, I want it to have meaning or not necessarily yeah. meaning, but I want it to have, have affected me somehow to where I think it's worth a shit telling a story about. Yeah. Yeah. I think that surprise is just like a key element uh, in comedy and also like a novel point of view, which kind of plays into surprise and uh, also kind of not trying to be the hero in the story that you're telling. I mean, like you were, you hit it when you said like just being really honest Mm -hmm. uh, about like your reactions and what you were thinking. Uh, A lot of that is, is really important to, to what's, and just when you're first starting out or you're constantly having to deal with people like you're talking about, like I don't, yeah. in my personal life, I don't really have like a lot of people that know that I do stand up and mm-hmm. want to talk to me about it and don't do stand up themselves. I pretty much surrounded myself by comedians now. That's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't go around telling people they just find out yeah. somehow and it's however they find out. Mm-hmm. But, and then that's when all the like, Oh, like every, every day at work, like, I don't know how many I've been working on my job for like two years. I've done a ton of shows, ton of open mics, and I'm on social media posting about everything that I do. But every single day I walk in and some like somebody at my job's like, I'm going to have to go see you one day. And I'm like, it's been two fucking years. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, you could just stop saying that. That's just small yeah. talk at this point. Yeah, for sure. And that's another thing that I, I've, I haven't met a comedian yet that that has been doing it that doesn't have that same story that yeah. basically you're, you're you, and, the, and you were a musician too. Mm-hmm. So you know how it is. 
Nobody's going to come to your show. No. Yeah. And maybe y'all might not. This might be a different for y'all because y'all did music. But I do remember like the first when I first started where I had like a few handful, maybe two or three open mics. Mm-hmm. It's like I wanted to try somehow in any conversation with someone for it to come up for me to yeah I do comedy you know and now I, I don't I don't want anyone to yeah. know yeah because I don't want to hear now it's like I don't want to hear the same old stuff or one time I was talking to a barber about it and I mentioned it, I was like yeah I'm doing a show I forgot what we were doing mm-hmm. but that we were doing something we had a show that it might have been the Keenan thing or something and I mentioned to this guy that was cutting my hair and he was like, oh, really? And he starts asking about, uh, like, comedy and stuff. And I told him, uh, I was like, yeah, well, there's a lot of stuff in Lafayette. You know, I was like, there's a lot of national people that come through. And I named I named someone. Maybe it was Shane Torres, I think. It was because I said, like, Shane Torres is either just came or was coming. And he's like, well, I don't know who that is, which is kind of understandable. So then I was like, yeah, he... um." I was like, he just got off tour with Burt Kreischer. And he's like, I have no idea who that is. And then I was like, why am I even fucking talking yeah. about this to this guy? Obviously, if I don't say Jeff Foxworthy or someone, he's <laughs> exactly. not going to, or, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They had a guy one time when Bobby Kelly was in Lafayette that would just happen to be there. And he's like, oh, there's a comedy show. Yeah. How much is it to get in? And it's like 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ooh, that's way too much money to spend. And I was like, yeah, but this guy's like a national headliner. You know, this isn't like a local for $40 is not that much. And he's like, only person I'd pay $40 for is Pablo Francisco. And I was like, you're going to have to go back in time, brother, <laughs> yeah. if you want to see Pablo Francisco. <laughs> back then, $40 was a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so Chase, do you do you find that just if with your style of comedy that you and the type of things you prefer to write about that you don't have to deal with controversial material, or do you still find yourself trying to navigate that minefield sometimes? Uh, give me an example of controversial uh, to, to you. So last night I was in that new joke. There's a line where I the whole point of the joke is that Christians appropriated code switching from black people. Okay. So, and so an example would just be like having to act one way around when you're around your church friends. And then if you go to like public school, you have to be somebody else. Okay. And so we appropriated that from them. And so at some point in the joke, I say, and I recently realized that this was appropriate, that we basically just appropriated this from black folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know, they have black Santa Claus. So I feel like it's an even trade. Uh, And they all clenched up when I said that. (laughs) And then I realized, like, oh, you know what I should probably do is rephrase it where I say something where I just say, you know, I don't really understand all the nuance of of code switching, honestly, mm-hmm. for black folks. So, like, is it is it a barter system? Like, if if we take code switching, you get black Santa Claus? Like, I, I don't know. And if I rephrase it that way where I'm mm-hmm. not being, oh, you know, because yeah. I just it's so easy to sound. I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's three white guys with the podcast, like the biggest cliche <laughs> ever. Mm-hmm. But I and and this what I'm about to say, I'm just about to step right into the biggest pitfall that we're all eventually going to fall into as white guys with the podcast mm-hmm. is suggesting that something didn't work because of the way that we look or whatever. Yeah. But I do. Well, that thing has been following me around my whole life, not just as a comedian like me. I have a problem with the way that I come across to people. Okay. And so it follows me onto the stage. And so that's. 
I have to realize, oh, you have to say it in a certain context. And you you already kind of said this, like you have to say it from a certain not just about uh, about controversial topics, but just generally, if you want something to be funny, maybe you have to kind of shift mm-hmm. and come at it a certain way. So I'm curious with you, uh, it doesn't sound like based on the type of things that you want to write about that that, that would come up very often. I guess not. Um, I have a few things that I'll like kind of say that I guess could be considered like controversial, but I don't ever really like like I have a joke where I mentioned like uh like lizard people controlling the world and stuff like that, but it's all said like and that's and that's not something that I necessarily believed, but I was really into conspiracies for a while. <laughs> uh so it is something that's like kind of in me, but it's like I don't get into it. It's just kind of like a quick little like silly punchline. I don't really do race stuff. Uh I don't feel like I have any place <laughs> to do anything like that at yeah. all. I think the the most Every once in a while, I like do a quip about religion, um, but and that was like so that was that joke that I was saying the the second joke about my coworker saying that uh, I almost died and went to heaven mm-hmm. or whatever. That was another one I kind of had to retool a little bit because when I first started doing it, like a few years ago, it was more like projected outwards. So it was like he said that like he so when I first wrote the joke, it was about the coworker, he almost fell and he said, I almost died and went to heaven. And I was like, who do you think you are that you're, oh, gonna, yeah. you know? And it was like that <clears throat> me judging someone else was like putting people mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. And then I, I would tie it up with saying something about like, uh, somehow I got into the playboy matches <laughs> and then like, uh, Jesus and, um, I forgot his name now. Who's the dude from the playboy? Um, oh, Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner. Or like, First, you're like Jesus. I thought you were say Gandhi or someone. No, no, no. But it would be like Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, and Hugh Hefner. I would like compare them being like the same person because they're like old creeps in robes who like objectify <laughs> women or whatever. And that was like, okay, it was. I'm getting to a point where I'm just like, I'm like judging a dude for you know believing in God, and then I'm bashing on this religion and stuff. So I'm having to like work that to where it's more about me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess I do try to, I don't, I'll think about stuff and then I try to figure out how to steer away from it being controversial just yeah. because for one thing, I don't have enough energy to defend it. I don't, I don't want to. And it's funnier if you're the punchline and not someone mm-hmm. else. That is such a good point. And I've thought about it, but I've never put it into words like that. But that's basically what it is, is that if you want to write a joke that you know is going to be on that sort of. Bill Burr spectrum of, of pushing those boundaries. Um, you have to also be prepared to get into that sort of defending yeah. it thing. Um, while you're on stage, you have to be ready to get into a little bit of a tussle with the audience where you kind of show them and reveal to them kind of like Louis, you know, Louis's done that too, like where he'll, he'll say something terrible and people will laugh and then he'll say something else and they'll clinch up. It's like, well, you know, you were just laughing yeah. at this mm-hmm. other thing. You have to be ready to do that. And a lot of times I'm like, man, that's not what I personally mm-hmm. want at all. I would much rather just let's have a good time. You yeah. know? And that's what, and that's kind of where, where I'm at too. It's and I, it, I actually ended up uh, talking to Jacob a couple, like maybe a month or so ago, just about how I was like, well, I don't want to necessarily be like a clean comic. Cause that's not who my, what my personality is. But I noticed that some of the jokes that I'm doing that are more like suggestive of like sexual content or something like that, where I don't explicitly say it do better. And I even like did a thing where I edited a couple of jokes 
and took out the more like harsh words and replaced them with stuff. And they, they're doing even better now. And I was like, Oh, well maybe I can do something kind of clean. And then the newest joke that I started writing is about my dad taking a shit on the floor. So, <laughs> but, um, and so it's kind of like, okay, I guess I'm not going to be a clean comic, but maybe I can just like, like massage the words a little bit better to where I'm not using the harsh language all the time. Yeah. And I'm not like, and I'm easing into topics rather than just like throwing it right out there. Yeah. I, I don't think anyone, anyone should try to write certain, you know, like I don't think you should say like, I'm going to be a clean comic or yeah. I'm going to be a dirty comic mm-hmm. or I'm going to make edgy jokes. You should just kind of write whatever comes to you and then figure out whatever you have ideas with and then figure out what you're good at. Mm-hmm. Because to me, it's kind of an arrogant thing because the whole thing is everyone's like, like the like we're trying to find our voice. It's so hard to try to find your voice and it mm-hmm. takes so long to try to find your voice. So to be like, I'm going to be a clean comic is like, oh, you think you just know what kind of comedian you are already. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you, you don't need to find your voice. Yeah. You know, so it's it's almost very arrogant. Like, oh, you're better than all the rest of mm-hmm. us. Yeah. You know? That's the thing. And that's another thing I noticed when I first started out and I I used to actually came across a notebook uh, from when I first started and I used to long form write jokes and it's like I would have like a whole page that's like a one and a half, two minute bit. And then when I would get on stage, I would say maybe a quarter of what was written down on that page because Mm -hmm. once you get up there and you start talking. And I know you're saying like your voice, Mm -hmm. your voice is essentially just your personality, Mm -hmm. like exaggerated a little bit. So that's going to come out more than like what you think about. Yeah. So you're going to start talking and it's going to come out saying like how you would normally talk in a conversation. At least that's how that's the goal is to make Mm -hmm. it seem conversational rather than just like robotic. Like because you can write, oh, this is going to be hilarious to say this, but you might skip completely over that part because the rhythm doesn't fit. Right. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know if this is if you guys are experiencing the same thing, but I feel like basically what I'm doing uh, as I've just progressed through, I think I'm 15 months in and I basically just resolved I'm going to have to make every single cliched mistake Mm -hmm. and to just do it the extra long and slow way to develop as a comedian. I'm not going to be able to be able to to sort of sidestep and take shortcuts and be like, well, at least I don't have to deal with this. Apparently I'm going to hit every single one of them before I, you know, and it may be the better way. Yeah. I mean, in the long run, it might, you like, there's probably, there might be a lot of people that right now it looks like they're figuring things out faster, Mm -hmm. but those people might end up hit just Mm -hmm. plateauing or hitting a ceiling at a certain point. And this is just as good as they'll ever be. Yeah. You might end up, it might, so it's, you know you're gonna go through every tough experience yeah. and all that mm-hmm. to where when you get to the other side mm-hmm. you're gonna be a better and more professional comedian you know yeah, you would have learned something from all those mistakes mm-hmm. uh, and that's probably and i'm sure i've hit all of those too and it might just be like they might all be coming at you at once whereas mm-hmm. like it might take like i i can't i can't talk apparently uh <laughs> I'm just trying to think because I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. But um, so like some people, they might hit a stride right at first and then start making a few of those mistakes, hit another stride and then some more of those mistakes. Because I'm sure like when I first started, like 
I've tried all kinds of different material that I've had to just either cut or like edit completely just because it's like, once you get up there and you start doing it, like it's not working and you realize I should have never said that. <laughs> so. Yeah. Or you can be making several mistakes, but you only focus on, you only notice yeah. one out of, you notice, Oh man, I keep doing this thing. Mm-hmm. And then you work on it and then you get better and you fix it. And then you're like happy about it. And then once you get that, I mean, this, I'm talking from personal experience. I'll notice this about myself. I'll notice this thing that I do. I'm like, mm-hmm. I gotta stop doing, or I gotta fix this, fix this thing I'm doing. That's not right. Figure out, figure out how to get better at that. Mm-hmm. And I work on it. Then once I start getting better at it, I'll have a, the moment of um, reward. Yeah. The good feeling doesn't last very long. Cause it was, Oh, that's great. Then I'm listening. Then I'll start listening to sets, and then realize this other thing mm-hmm. that I've been doing this whole time. I'm like, oh, I gotta knock that shit off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. I was listening to our episode with uh, Dwayne Toussaint because I just love the sound of my own voice, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and I noticed when I was listening to you describe it on that episode, I was thinking that basically it's like when you renovate your house when you think you really just kind of want to paint your kid's bedroom or mm-hmm. something. And so you make one part of your house significantly better than the rest of it. And suddenly mm-hmm. you realize like, Oh, I kind of yeah. need to bring the whole thing up to at least that level now. And then it's a, it's basically like a slippery slope and you just keep mm-hmm. making more and more. Next thing you know, you've completely renovated top to bottom. So that's how it is. You never, you always can look at your best material and it makes your, the weakest part of your sets stand out and you obviously need to shore those up. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you're able to more or less avoid, <clears throat> I mean, you've got a lot of experience. And so, uh, and, and also it sounds like your, your natural tendency might be to write some jokes that have, you know, some, some language that, that could be softer, uh, and, and you've benefited from, from, so from those rewrites, mm-hmm. but it does sound like you're, you don't really have a tendency to to want to dip into the controversial stuff. I really don't. And like I said, it's mostly because I don't want to have to use the energy to back it up. Right. So I don't have a lot of confidence in myself and knowing things. <laughs> <laughs> so I might make a joke about something like, I don't know, politics or religion that I feel strongly about. And if somebody like combats me on it, I'm just like, you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think, I don't think you should do that anyway, because if you don't have if you don't have a funny idea, whether it be anything controversial like race or politics or anything like that, if no ideas are coming in your head about those things, yeah. then why why go after them? It doesn't make any any sense. If you get if you get an idea in your head about something controversial that's funny enough, mm-hmm then you should do it and you'll figure out how to navigate around, especially if you're doing it because it's funny and not because you're like, I'm going to make a statement or a point Yeah, because that's not the point of what we're doing. I've had, I've had to talk myself out of jokes that aren't necessarily jokes, but making a statement or Mm -hmm. something. Cause it's like, I do like, I do pay attention to politics and like religion and stuff like that. But it's like, I try to keep that separate from comedy because I don't know if I know how to make it funny. Right. Yeah. Right. If you don't, yeah. If you don't have a funny angle, then mm-hmm. what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those, those topics, your religion and politics and, and just race, any, any of those controversial topics get discussed so much. Yeah. yeah. And Twitter is a thing. And so good <laughs> well, luck trying to come up with a funny, you know, 140, 280 character yeah. joke or whatever that hasn't already been hit. Mm-hmm. 
uh, ad nauseum. Yeah. All the late night writers are writing about everything that's exactly. topical. And, yeah. you know, it's really just it's. I try I to know. I try to stay away from topical stuff, too, just because it's that's not necessarily timeless. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I try to have jokes where it's like I could do them for as long as I need to do them for, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so and every once in a while, I'll throw in like a reference of something that is topical here and there and it's like i get nervous every time i do it because i'm like do people still know who lizzo is (laughs) thank god she fucked up recently and she's back in the news so i can bring those jokes (laughs) back but uh i was so confused when people started talking about her because i think the flute thing had already happened and was a mm -hmm. thing before i started hearing her name so then when everybody just would casually reference her and a flute i was so confused (laughs) Yeah. So I just all I knew is that she was just she was just a pop singer or whatever. Yeah. What is she? Is she a is she a pop singer I or is she so. more like hip hop? Like what it's is more she on the hip hop? Like I mean, she's good. She's really great at what she does. Uh, but it's all like you know body positive and like women like empowerment, which is fantastic topics. And she's great at what she does. But she's being sued recently for those exact things. Yeah, for like backup dancers, <laughs> yeah. when the backup dancers for, start getting a little too chunky, like she's like, yeah. oh, no, yeah, that, <laughs> that's what's going on. I'm that, like, they're still in her thunder. She's like, I'm supposed to be the fat girl on that stage. Is so <laughs> funny, so, yeah. that's, kind of, that's my thing. Yeah, you yeah. know, we've experienced something recently that I've we have collectively agreed to like not really talk about or get into any detail about, uh, and it's something I'm sure you're aware of, but. One thing that I have seen is that anytime you take a stance on anything on principle, there's always going to be this moment where the rubber hits the road, where you kind of have to be like, oh, wait, this this very expensive, heavy position that I've taken on this controversial topic does, is it durable? Does it hold up? Yeah. Like when, yeah. you know, when I'm in a situation where I got to like not take a gig or not work with this mm-hmm. person because of mm-hmm. this stance that I've taken, it gets real messy. And you realize very quickly, like, I didn't think this all the way through to a very predictable ending that was right yeah. there. For me. Yeah. Because yeah. the fact I used to do stuff like that, like on social media, like before I did comedy. And then I kind of figured out it's not a good thing to do. And I'm glad I did before comedy mm-hmm. because, um, like everyone, everyone has moral faults. Mm-hmm. So once you go and make this very public proclamation of morality, mm-hmm. you you're, you're now you're like, here's now here's a magnifying glass for you to look at me through now. Yeah. So the minute yeah. you're not consistent, everyone's going to call. That's what like all those people, they had a bunch of people that got mad mm-hmm. about me. And I don't think so much, I think me, but other, they were mad that people were making fun of those dumb asses that died to go see the Titanic. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. And like, it was just the most horrible thing that I was making jokes about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can tell you right now, um, you are going to have to be very, very brave sharing a joke on Facebook in front of me now. Cause I can point out to you, what is wrong or offensive about every single joke. And I bet I can find it'll be way more offensive than making fun of those people that went into that beer can on their own, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have hit some people up with it. There's been some people where it's like, they'll share something about like uh, a meme about 
laughing about being drunk or whatever. I'm like, oh, it's fucking alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how much I've struggled with this? Yeah. And I have to see this shit? It's triggering. You know? I, I can't tell if you're joking, if I'm, be, if I'm being honest. <laughs> sort of. Um, so we, we're talking about, you know, kind of being attacked from a more like uh, ideological perspective. Uh, but getting attacked on stage is also something that's a very real possibility. I know everybody in this room has had some sort of experience where uh, you're, I don't even think it's necessarily, it seems like most of the time we don't really get into problems with people being violent in a club because they specifically took issue with something that we said. Now, Joshua Jordan has a great story about how he was like verbally accosted by mm-hmm. some woman yeah. at, uh, at the Lake Charles open mic um, like a year ago or something. Uh, but it's most, most of the time it seems like when we're doing comedy and something happens, it's really more just somebody who doesn't care what you're saying up there. They're, they're just there to ignore the comedy show completely and be Mm -hmm. disruptive. And then at some point it becomes a problem. Uh, have you ever like been legitimately, cause you, you actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I know that you had at least one, uh, where I was thinking it was a daiquiri shop. Yeah, I've heard. Oh, yeah, I heard you yeah. about to fight someone at a, at a daiquiri shop once. Yeah, uh, those shows were awful. But mm-hmm. uh, I think you did one of them. Yeah. Actually, yeah, you did one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Those were the just the most hostile like crowd because it's essentially surprise comedy. It's like this yeah place that people go. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of on their side about it. Really, I mean, yeah, not I, in the moment, but like thinking, thinking about, about it later yeah. is like, yeah, we're kind of being dicks about yeah. it, you know. Exactly, because it's just that whole thing where it's like, I know you guys are having a good time, but fucking pay attention to me. Right. I don't even remember what the guy was like, just talking loud and heckling and talking loud. I don't even remember what I what I said exactly, but it turned into like a shouting match. And then when I got off, like I, Tyler was going up, I got off stage, Tyler gets on stage. And then like I walked over to him just to like reiterate, like, dude, you really need to be quiet. And then like he started like getting in my face like he was going to like punch me. And then I was like, let's fucking do this. And then very unprofessional on my part, but it like (laughs) Tyler like riffed on it. I forget what happened. And then by the end of it, the dude was buying everybody shots. Yeah. So, but it was that like, I don't even remember what was said, but it was just, but that was during a time also where it was like, I was doing a lot of those shows at those daiquiri shacks. Uh, and it was one in Sulphur and one in Moss Bluff. And they were all just like hostile and like bad. And they were like really getting into my head. So it was mm-hmm. like, I was just la- like, it turned into where like my, most of my sets were just me lashing out at people <laughs> yeah. in the crowd just because, I mean, they're not paying attention anyways. Yeah, it's so. like when your brother comes back from combat and he's not the same guy he was yeah. when he left. Dude, that, yeah. was, <laughs> that was my battle. Yeah. Yeah, that was my war. Um, yeah. But no, I did have, besides that, uh, we used to do these when I first started, these open mics at Luna Live uh, in Lake Charles. And um, that was one joke that I had was like working on at the time. And it was like a story about when I used to play music and this drunk like chick approaching us. Uh, and I was just trying to find anything funny to say at the time. This is what, like before I realized, like, just tell the story and be honest about it, where I was like, I got to throw in something crazy or something funny in there. And I said something about, uh, to the effect of like, we're trying to get this lady out of her face. And I'm like, ah, make like, 
you know, Kurt Cobain and go blow your mind or something like that. <laughs> blow your own mind. And when I said that, this dude stood up and was like, fuck you. Jesus. He's like, don't ever talk about the dead like that. Oh my God. And yeah, I was probably like, never met Kurt Cobain either. Oh, no, yeah. absolutely not. <laughs> well, that's just one of those classic examples of you, you happen to stumble onto their yeah. particular mm-hmm. issue. That's usually what it's about. I feel like. Yeah. yeah. He was super mad. And he stormed out, and then he stuck his head back in to say some more shit to me. And then he, like, left. And I was like, good God. (laughs) He really told me. Yeah. Yeah, man. It it seems like um, more often than not, when you're slugging it out here on the sort of, you know, local showcases and open mics, you're, you're much more likely to just annoy someone that you're doing comedy at all and get into something over that than you are as somebody taking issue with a specific... Yeah. You know, your position about dog food or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Cause that was uh, thinking about it. That was the only thing I've ever said on stage. I think that's really like upset someone, yeah. at least that they've told me about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, other than that, you're right. It's just like, Hey, we're going to show up to the bar that you go to every night and we're going to try to tell jokes and we're going to be upset that you're not paying attention to us, <laughs> which is, Super silly. But luckily enough, like I said, the shows in Lake Charles, like the actual shows mm-hmm. have been doing really well oh, yeah. like, with a, like audiences that are just like engaged mm-hmm. into the actual show. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I don't uh, every single story that I've heard, I try to I try to have a real um, removed point of view. I try to remember that I have a tendency to miss the obvious thing sometimes. So let me try to put this into context. Basically what I'm saying is I've heard nothing but great things about the Lake Charles comedy scene lately. Mm -hmm. And um, then I went and you did that kill Tony Sacheries or whatever thing (laughs) and and got a spot on one of those uh, local shows at OB's. And I just really don't feel like it went very well at all. Uh, But I've had some time to think about it and I mean, I got up there. I was very relaxed. I was very myself. I was telling the jokes the same way. You know, I felt like I was doing a good job mm-hmm. it, by my own standards and it just wasn't going over very well. And I know that like, you know, Drew has pointed this out to me several times that like, man, you just had like the worst luck. But I feel like if it's it's fine for him to say that and it's fine if he thinks that and if anybody else thinks that. But I find that for me. I've got to just take the reins and take responsibility. If I'm going and everybody else is having a good night, I can't because it happened two nights in a row. I did that. And then I went right up to Uncle Matt's the next night and the same thing happened. Mm-hmm. And even though I can look at that crowd objectively and see things, it's like everybody was having a hard time. Everybody mm-hmm. had moments that normally go well that fell flat. But I when it comes to that stuff, it's important to me to I guess what I'm saying is I have a tendency to fall into like a victim mentality sometimes that I have been fighting back against for several years now and training my brain to not think that way. So even though that might be true of a fluke thing, it just keeps happening. Yeah, you're right. At a certain point, you can't fall back on that. But like you just said, you've been doing comedy 15 months. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. at this point, it's okay to be, especially whenever everyone else, like they're, they might be doing well, but not as well as they would have been doing. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing it longer than you. So right. that what I'm saying is don't be like, Oh, well it's fine. But at the same time, don't beat yourself up about it right. because the goal is at a certain point, mm-hmm. you want to be the comedian 
that can go into any room where everyone else is like, man, this room sucks. And you can go in there and just fucking murder everybody in there. Yeah. That is the goal, but you're not going to get it right now. Right. You know, it's so just the, not going to come that quick. The thing is, you just have to be uh, what I'm trying to train myself to do. And I'm getting better with it is to think constructively. So mm-hmm. don't think, Oh, it's fine. And yeah, don't, like right. you said, don't think it's, it's fine. And don't think I'm, sh- I'm dog shit. Just think what could I have done differently that would have been able to yeah. make this joke work yeah. better, even in and, a challenging situation. And like, look at it real. I think that's what I'm saying. Like, look at it realistically. Yeah. Like, yeah, you don't want to be like, Oh, it's fine. You still want to pay like, but you have to look at it realistically to be like, okay, this is why, because that's the only way you're going to know, like, well, what do I do? To right. make it better. You know yeah. what I mean? You don't want to be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. At the same time, you don't want to be like, oh, I'm, I'm fucking dog shit or whatever, right. you know? There's mm-hmm. there's always a rule where it's like you're not supposed to blame the crowd. Mm-hmm. I think there are exceptions to mm-hmm. that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just, just kind of like Drew was saying, it's just don't beat yourself over having a bad time, but also think about what you could do to change that. Yeah, absolutely. And right. You shouldn't, you shouldn't blame the crowd, but you should factor in the reality that this crowd was a little bit more difficult crowd. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is like, yeah, eventually at some point, whether it be 10 years from now or whatever, I'm going to today try to figure out what do I need to do right now to get me to the point where that's not a problem for me, you know? Right. But it is hard to not to blame yourself a lot when it happens consistently. Cause that was, that happened to me before where it's just like you have, cause you're going to have bad sets. Everybody knows that. But if you have three or four, five bad sets in a row and you're like, what is going on? And a lot of those times, what I've realized for me is that it's, I would have these bad sets with jokes that I knew had worked before. And it was because I wasn't performing them up to par, mm-hmm. you know, cause you'll get yourself, you'll get into your head about the crowd or about the room that you're in or just whatever situation, mm-hmm. or maybe you had a long day at work and then that's weighing on you. And then you go up there and you're like, well, I'm still going to tell these jokes, but then you just give a half ass performance it's like, yeah, the, I mean, that is your fault. That doesn't mean the material's bad. It just means that you're not giving it your all. Mm-hmm. So, and then, but it's, I, I would do stuff like that. And then I would just like question myself as, mm-hmm. and, and then question the material. So, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Like you, it's very easy to either get into a good feedback loop or a bad feedback loop where um, like if things are going well for you, I hate to go down a Jordan Peterson thing, but he talks a lot about the Pareto. I leave. No. <laughs> Doors right over there. And just, no. Uh, the Pareto distribution. Sometimes people refer to it as Pareto, but it's Pareto distribution. Where it's the, the bell curve. Wherever. Um, so when you get to where you're going well, it's very easy for things to just kind of each time you have a good set, you're more confident and more comfortable. And, and it just it's an upward spiral. Um, and especially when people start to recognize, like every time this person's name comes up in the conversation, it's everybody talking about how funny they are. Uh, and then it's very easy to just go the opposite direction as well, Mm -hmm. where, um, sometimes people will tell you reps, reps, reps. And so you're like, all right, I always got to get up no matter what kind of frame of mind that I'm in. I got to just get up there and do it, get Mm -hmm. right back on the horse every time you fall off. But then if you go up, 
and you're you're in that one of those like bad mindsets from a really stressful day at work or whatever it might be that, that's bothering you or you feel like you haven't really quite done the work on this joke yet but you really just need to tell it it's very easy to get into a negative spiral where it didn't go well mm-hmm. and now you you don't you're like did i have a bad night uh, is it the joke sometimes one tiny little change of phrase or inflection or a beat before you say the next word could be make or break for whether a joke is funny. Mm-hmm. There's so, I guess I'm, I'm taking a long way around to say that it's a multivaried thing mm-hmm. and, yeah. and you're, you're like a mixer board. You're, you're like a sound engineer sitting at a board being like, which one of these a hundred knobs do I need to turn and how much? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just a hard yeah. thing to do sometimes. And, um, one piece of advice that I'll give to people that start to feel that way, if, if you're like me and you do sometimes feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. I'm getting analysis paralysis. I don't know which one of these knobs to change. Maybe just take a beat, you know, mm-hmm. just 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 calm yeah. down, take a breath and and just know that you probably shouldn't have to think about it that much. It shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. You, uh, I don't know if it's uh, most comedians, but I know a lot of them that I know it's overthinking is like your worst enemy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, that goes back to just thinking about bad sets all the time. Cause like you were saying, like the bell curve thing where it starts going well and you get more and more confident. I feel like for me, like I almost hate it every time. Like I get off stage and Jacob's like, man, you've been killing it lately because yeah, it's a scary every, part. Yeah. Every time I do well, I get more anxiety about like next time I bomb, it's going to mm-hmm. bomb hard. Yeah. And I'm going to like be crushed. Yeah. I start. Yeah. It's, I feel like there's a piano over my head. Yeah. And that's why sometimes I'll go like where if there's an open mic and I know like, man, it's probably not going to be good. This open mic. And I'm kind of like not wanting to go, but I'll be like, well, let me go and maybe get the, go have the bad set here yep. and get it out the way. Like try to do my best, you yeah. know, don't tr- have a try to do my best but if i'm gonna have a bad set let's go have it here and maybe kind of reset things in my, yeah. my like my own anxiety and overthinking maybe and maybe it'll reset my mind so i won't be living in fear that this is gonna happen at a big showcase like a stone drunk sober or something yeah. like that you know i do the same i do the same exact thing that was my mentality when i did the excuse me our past mic in lake charles uh at ob he's was like once I kind of got there, I was like, I'm probably going to have a bad set. I was like, but that's that's fine. I'm just going to accept my loss now. Because <laughs> that way, if I do like the next few shows that I have, hopefully those go well. But also, I, God, I just wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> I'm still going to beat myself over it. No yeah, it still what. sucks, yeah. though. Yeah, yeah, it still sucks being up there. It sucks afterwards. Mm-hmm. But it's part of it. I was listening to Shane Gillis describe his experience as the on the SNL audition. Mm-hmm. And he was just so convinced that he wasn't going to get it, that he was like, oh, I'm way more relaxed than I should be when he was in that. You know, they put you mm-hmm. in a room, make you wait for a long time before mm-hmm. you finally get to go up. And so he was so he thought he was relaxed. And then when it finally started and he had to go down the corridor and then walk on there it is there's the stage yeah he got so nervous that like his hand was shaking really bad with the microphone he had to hold it to his chin to get it to stop shaking just basically Mm -hmm. brace himself and um your mindset i still think that being as relaxed 
as you can be, Mm -hmm. but also kind of letting go of the outcome. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That seems like it would be an important thing and not just in comedy, but it seems like it would work in comedy. Um, What's your comfort zone right now in terms of like how much time you can consistently do and feel good about? Probably. It's hard to say. Um, Cause like I said, I don't have much confidence in anything that I do ever. (laughs) Uh, Like I know, like I know I could do 10 minutes solid. Uh, but probably between 10 and 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. I know I have way more material than that. Cause I think about that all the time. It's like, I have a ton of material and that's when I, I'm, I'll try to go back and like throw in oh, like other jokes that I know work that I need to keep in the set, but there's not enough stage time. Like in Lake Charles at all, especially it's like we get one a week. And if I come out here, I can get two a week, but it's only five minutes each time. So it's like, I have to work out five minutes in Lake Charles and then come to Lafayette and work out a different five minutes. And then I have to wait a whole other week before I can like do them again. So, I mean, I guess I would say like between 10 and 15, uh, of jokes that I know, like off the top of my head, I can just go out there and do, but I have more than that. Unfortunately that I don't get to work out as much because I don't have enough stage time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking, uh, with, with Dwayne being in Baton Rouge and being sort of located very centrally between all these different <laughs> points. It really is a great place to set up your home base if you want to be able to travel and hit everything as much as you can. Uh, Being on either extreme, I guess in your case, New Orleans is on one extreme and you're on the other. And if you had to choose between being stuck in one, New Orleans would be the one because they have more going on by like orders of magnitude more than anybody else does. Um, Like I remember talking to um, Derek Copswell, I think. He's out of Austin now, but he was in Mississippi. Uh, it was at a Mike out here in Lafayette, actually. And he was about to move to Austin for that same reason, because he was telling me how he would talk to comics in Austin and like they could write a joke on Monday and by like Tuesday or Wednesday, they'll have it finalized because they were able to work it out that many times in between then and, you know, Monday and Wednesday as to where it's like, if I write a new idea on Monday it might be December before I get it worked out because there's just not enough stage Mm -hmm. time. And don't you find like when, when you were describing that, it's like what you're saying is so true about the scenes, but I would be curious, like your mind has to have fixes for jokes that would like, if I had the opportunity to do a joke that was brand new and do it like, you know, 15 times over a period of two to three days, Mm -hmm would I be able to come up with enough good ideas to fix what wasn't working in that time to make use of that many opportunities for stage time? Or do you think everybody just gets better from having that much opportunity? I I think a lot of um, comfort on stage is one big thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I noticed a lot of jokes that I used to do that I wrote, that I wrote like even a few years ago that were okay jokes that I do now the same exact way, but I just have more confidence telling the jokes because I know it better mm-hmm. work better because you have that confidence so like more stage time brings more confidence on stage and that can help just the presentation of the material and then also getting the same joke in front of like different types of people can let you know what's going to work to more people mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. so i do think like i'm not even asking for like 15 open mics within three days or whatever you know right. but even if i had 
three steady mics every week. I feel mm-hmm. like I can like at least hone a better set than I have, like a longer, better set than I have now. Uh, well, shit, man. I mean, between uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, I know you have to travel, but yeah. that'd be a big commitment. Do you do you find that balancing just with you being wanting to go to multiple cities and having a job and a family mm-hmm. is tough, right? Very trying yeah. to figure out a way to not. I mean, this little mm-hmm. girl out here, I have one. Mm-hmm. And she's homeschooled and I work from home a lot. Um, but if I, if I'm not careful, I could easily like a week could go by. Mm-hmm. And with all that opportunity that you would think would be there, I could easily like, okay, Monday night is a, is a, was world of beer to uh, Tuesday night. It was atmosphere. We're doing the podcast tonight. I'm not going to really see her that much tonight. Yeah. Um, Thursday night, we have a mic Friday. We have a show in Baton Rouge mm-hmm. and Saturday, uh, I think we're trying to get Josh Watson here. Yeah, at some uh, point. Yeah. And so I could easily not see her <clears throat> at all. Yeah. You know, that's how, uh, cause and I'll, I'm trying to think I've been trying to consistently do at least two mics a week coming out here on like the Thursdays and then, uh, doing every Monday in Lake Charles and just from that. And then maybe like one show that I might do like here or there every time I leave the house, I make it a point. Like I'll tell my wife by and I'll go tell my kids by my daughter. She's nine. Every single time she's like, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm going to go tell jokes. And she's like, you go to tell jokes all the time, daddy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just yeah. like, you're killing me. Yeah, man. <laughs> like, Mine's 10. And she does that same yeah. thing, dude. And, it's, and finally I'm like, I get paid for it sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> It might be worth it. You might, I might get to buy you some ice cream or something. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, it is rough. Cause it's like, I work like Monday through Friday and then, you know, I like kids, they play sports sometimes and things like that. So it's like, if I want to spend any time with my family, yeah, I have to sacrifice coming out to do shows or open mics and stuff like that. And it's kind of a bummer. Sort of a random, uh, fun fact. I think I know so many comics in this in this collection of scenes in South Louisiana that regardless of our age disparities, we all have a daughter that's around the same age. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. just a weird coincidence. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think. I know Tyler for all three of us and yeah. then Tyler for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, who am I leaving out? Um, well, you said Josh Watts. Yeah. He yeah. He's got one. Mm-hmm. Jason. Jason. Yeah, Jason, Jason's Jason. got a daughter that's like a ten or eleven. Yeah, there's a lot of us. Why don't we talk about mental health stuff? You guys want? You guys have any interest in that? Yeah, yeah. Because that's definitely something that. I mean, that's part of the reason I took a break for a while. Is just like I can tell that, like th- those shows that we we're doing at the uh, daiquiri shops, were like really getting to me, and then. It's the same thing. Like we're just talking about pulling myself away from my family to go do something that I know is going to be horrible. And it was just like, eventually I had to just step back and get my head right before I can get back into it. And I remember like, cause, and I feel like every time I want to take a break from comedy like that, you know, Mm -hmm. just to kind of reset mentally is when I start getting the most show offers. So it's like, I had to turn. So that wasn't like, October, maybe it was October, November. And then I didn't start doing shows again until like February, I think. And in that time, it's like Jason's hitting me up like 
every month like hey i have this i have this i have this and i'm like i can't i can't yeah and then same thing like jacob's like offering me shows and i'm like just can't do it like i just so yeah mental health is definitely something that's i have to have right before i can get up there and start telling jokes Mm -hmm. i've noticed a trend lately that's it's funny that i started thinking about it last night was it like no not last i don't remember at some point me and my wife were watching one of her stupid shows Mm -hmm. and um they had someone, you know, those reality shows, that trash TV. Yeah. And which I watch trash TV, but I watch different kind of trash. Yeah. And uh, there was someone <laughs> that was, they were, their therapist had told them, like, to go do comedy. And this person has no fucking interest in comedy. But it's this thing about, like, oh, you're afraid part of their anxiety there's like oh it'll help your anxiety you go do comedy and tell jokes in front of people and i'm thinking i wish they would quit fucking doing that yeah. because it's ruining a lot of open mics <laughs> stop sending us all your trouble yeah <laughs> and then i was thinking about it i was like this then the problem is if this therapist knew anything about comedy they would know what a bad idea that is to do to some people yeah because if they don't really if, if they're not funny and they don't really have like you think yeah. this person has problems now? <laughs> Go put them on that state. I yeah. mean, I think you need to have some kind of sort of men- like you have to have some kind of mental health in check before you put yourself through that because yeah, it, the lows are fucking extreme lows. Oh, and I was yeah. like, they, these therapists don't understand what they're putting those people up you know they would there potentially can happen to these people yeah. telling them to go do that yeah. they don't understand that it's not it's not always a fun feeling do they think that it's going to just help them i don't know be more open to talking to people or something because it's not no it's not you have to <laughs> really if anything you have to be the kind of person who fucking talks too much already yeah to to do comedy well i don't know i don't talk ever <laughs> So, but that's the that's not a good that's not a good way to get someone to feel comfortable about talking yeah. in front of people. It's the it's worst not. way because yeah. now it's like, oh, you're gonna, we're gonna not only put you in front of a bunch of people, but now there's an expectation. Exactly. And if you don't meet the expectation, mm-hmm. these people don't fucking like you. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's the worst way to teach some to get someone to feel comfortable about yeah. talking in front of people. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say because you set that expectation of like, okay, I'm going to be. Not only do you go up on stage alone, you have to make those people like you enough to pay attention to you and laugh at what you say. And when they don't do that part, yeah, you're done. It seems like the worst thing <laughs> like to do to someone that's. Yeah. That has like self confidence issues yeah. or you know anxiety about and, talking to people or being and being in social situations. That's the worst yeah. thing you want to do. Well, because well, it, I don't know because like I said, I have a lot of anxiety and I'm like I don't normally talk to a lot of people, but I also it's like I say that, but it's like if I, when I get comfortable in situations, then I'll I'll talk. Mm-hmm. But I've also have this weird passion to be not necessarily the center of attention, but just to be like on stage and performing. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know. I've never been yeah. to therapy though. I never had anybody tell me that I had to do it. It was just something that I wanted to do. So getting over those like frustrations yeah. of people not paying attention to me was something that. And I, I, I could see that. Like 
that makes sense. But some of these people was just like, I don't, um, you know, they're, they're so afraid to talk. It's like, like it's, it's ruining my life that I can't, Oh, well, yeah. why don't you go on stage and have everyone fucking judge you? Yeah. Like, exactly. that's yeah, that a horrible thing for a, a therapist to tell. You know what I mean? Uh, Cause I think they don't understand what it is, you know? Yeah. But you would think they don't even ask, like, are you funny? And no, that think about what you're putting us through. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like we only have five minutes and now we have to put up with their five minutes of them pissing themselves yeah, on the stage. We have to listen to their uh fucking horrible comedy. Yeah. Yeah, Brandon Robards, he has a he's a Baton Rouge based comic and he uh one of his stronger bits, um I haven't seen him lately uh that much, but one of his stronger bits was about how his therapist recommended that he try this to to deal with anxiety and how he basically wants to fire his therapist now. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it is. It's it, it must be like it's it must be in all their playbooks to just recommend maybe so. uh, somebody must have a popular blog yeah, or they, something. That dude gets a lot of anxiety. Like like um like mm-hmm. you can visually see his anxiety, which is kind of funny. Yeah. 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 I would say that. And I don't know, I know Brennan listens. And so I would say for him, he, in his future, I imagine him either really discovering a, a lane of like, I'm going to lean into this and be like super like that on stage, or it's going to have to be like, he completely transforms into somebody who's like uber comfortable Yeah, because it seems like the way that he is sometimes is like, he's, he's got great jokes, but he's it seems like the level of discomfort that he has on stage is like not sustainable, you know, until he either like weaponizes it or, yeah. or gets over it. it. It seems like it would be tough to just stay in that place all the time. Yeah. I, I've definitely been like in my head so much to where I've gotten on stage and has been visibly like shaking. Mm-hmm. Like you were, like you were talking about, um, With Shane Gillis, Shane Gillis. Yeah. Like I've definitely had that before. Um, but that's just, Comedy is such a weird thing, though, because like when you do try it and when it does work, it's like the best thing ever. Oh, yeah. So it's meth for sure. Yeah. You and you want to keep doing it. And so it's like you tell yourself, you're like, okay, I'm going to shake this time. But next time I'm going to get it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess it's just something you either have to work through or it's just not going to work out. Well, you know, one of the we were talking about um, sort of like hitting every every cliche on the uh, new comic uh, list, but one of those things, and you, you kind of touched on it is scripting out jokes like, Oh, I've got something. I'm going to write it all down Mm -hmm. or type it all out. And big problem that I had is that I would be trying to, you already have so many knobs on the console and you don't know which ones to turn. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting here and I'm trying to write this new joke and I'm scripting it out word for word. And nobody else does that. Like nobody, I mean, some people will talk about having tried it, but, but it seems like nobody sits down and just scripts it out perfectly every time. And so what I hear a lot of comics do is they say, I've got some bullet points Mm -hmm. I'm going to get up there and I'm going to try to figure out what the natural wording is. To be clear, Mm -hmm. I do script every joke out word for word, Mm -hmm. but when I go on stage, I just try to remember certain bullet points because if I try to remember, say it word for word, I mm-hmm. will fuck it up. Well, that but is I do like it word for word. Yeah. But I try not to think about, I try to think more about like having fun being in the moment mm-hmm. and um, 
I mean, the first few times you're going to mess it up anyway, because yeah. it's no matter how much you practice to me, no matter how much I, talk, I practice a joke, saying it on stage really put puts it in, in my memory. But it end it, what will happen is after I tell a joke enough times, as long as I'm comfortable on stage, I'm having a good time. I will tell this joke. I will tell it the script word for word. Mm-hmm. But it'll come off better because I'm not trying to remember yeah. every single word. And 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 I'll kind of think like, you know, remember, you know, this sentence, you're supposed to be like defensive or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll kind of try to remember things like that. But if I think too much about like, man, I've got to get this perfect, then I'm going to fuck it all up. And then I'm going to yeah. get into my head about that. And then I'm going to do bad for the rest of the, the time. Mm-hmm. And then what ends up happening sometimes because because I'm not worrying about too much about say keeping the script like memorizing my lines and hitting my lines word for word the way they go. Sometimes I'll say something a little different in the moment, and it'll be better. Mm-hmm. So it, then the script starts getting punched up, you know. Which yeah. that's a lot of like I said. Whenever I had went back and looked at some of my jokes, they're these jokes I had considered all these jokes were finished and I went back and looked at them and I don't tell any of these jokes. You know, I had been punching up this whole time. I've been punching up jokes without even being aware of it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. that's like, so you actually have everything written down somewhere like word mm-hmm. for word. Yeah. You, right. You pen and paper. Well, I, yeah. Once, once I, I did all the time and I realized I had to stop doing that for a while, but now, yeah, I've got a, I've got a thing right here where all of the ones that are my little concentration of the ones that are working the best, okay. they're all written out word for word. Yeah. Mine are all written out. They're, most of them are not updated though. Yeah. I'd have to go back and like I said, I don't tell them that way, but yeah. there's, there is a script. There is a definite word for word script, Yeah, See, but it just has to figure i just have to figure it out and get there right it's your process that that really is what you're talking about because if i try to write the entire joke start to finish on my computer before i get up and work it out for the first time i mess myself up every time but if i get the wording right i definitely want to write that down somewhere Mm -hmm. because i'll forget tags yep yeah i mean i do that too that's just i don't know if it's just me being lazy but I haven't done that in so long, like just written it down a long form. Like I said, like I'll have, this is where I write all my jokes is on my phone right here. And I'll just have a note and I have my joke section. Let's see. Joke ideas. And then that's it. I'll have like this one. Yeah. My dad wants me to have a boy to continue the Bonin name. And it just says, why, what have we done? <laughs> <laughs> Besides spent generations of having people calling us saying, what's up, boning? Like, I don't want that legacy to live on. So that's what I have written out. And I'm going to tell it like that on stage probably. And then see if anything comes Mm -hmm. out after that. Or if I have anything that I can add this to. Okay. So right off the bat, I'm curious because that's short enough that we can kind of get into the details. Mm -hmm. So do you... You have it written down that way. When you were reading it, it sounds like you were just talking. And yeah. so do mm-hmm. you write it in your head that way? And then you just go ahead and write down once yeah. you've done that already. Then you write it down on your phone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because that, like, that seems a better way to but say it's it. Fun. Yeah, it's very conversational, but it still sounds like a bit. 
Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. But that's like I was saying earlier. It's like I'll have that idea. And it's just like, okay, my dad wants me to continue our name. And I'll just sit there by myself and think about that phrase. And then I'll just think about my reaction to it is why. <laughs> so, and that's, and then once I get that, I'll like, oh shit, where's my phone? I have to write it down. Because I can't tell you how many times I've been like, yeah, I'm going to remember that. And I know every comedian has said this. And you never remember it if you don't instantly write it. Mm-hmm. write it down mm-hmm. but i have other and like i have another one that just says being a weatherman without technology that's the whole thing <laughs> i don't i don't know what that's gonna be yet because i haven't thought it through yeah and, you don't have things like that like just little yeah. things i write yeah. down that i don't know what they are and i so, will do like they're usually before even if it's the first time i tell a joke i usually do have like this is a script mm-hmm. and i want to remember every tag and try my best to tell it this way, which I know it's not going to happen, mm-hmm. but there every now and then there are some things I'll have an idea for, and I don't know what the idea is, but I like it enough that I don't, I need to give it a push. And then I will kind of go like to an open mic and just start kind of talking and try to f- flesh it out and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very rarely does it produce anything good. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it does. That's that the queen joke. That's how that happened. That was you just kind of riffing it out. I mean, stage? I had like ideas <clears throat> that I had I had wrote. I didn't like just go and start talking, but it didn't go anywhere. Like I was aware. Like this, it's because what it basically was was some guy who was twenty four years old at the time told me. Like the queen had just died and he watched the funeral and he said he cried watching. And I was like, I can't believe a man told another man that, you know, like at your age at 24. And I was like, what the fuck were you doing watching that? Mm-hmm. And I just kind of thought. Of, and the first I, the first time I told it was in Lake Charles at Panorama. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just got kind of to where. I'd said some other stuff about like, who gives a fuck about these bunch of inbred people? You know, that they just live the life of luxury off of the labor of the people that live there. A little too serious. And I was like, yeah, fuck the queen. She could suck my dick. And then it turned into like a whole like a whole thing. And uh, Tyler gave me like a couple tags, too, Mm -hmm. after that to help me with it. But then so the direction was like, oh, I'm going to kind of go on a a rant. And it'll start with like the queen of England and in England. And then slowly it's going to kind of go off the rails to where it's like, oh, this like this guy's just like kind of angry or crazy or whatever, you know, like this guy's kind of like he has problems. And then there's like an absurdist thing at the end where he just yes. says, fuck yeah. Ryan Seacrest. For no well, yeah. Yeah. That too is just because yeah. I just don't like that guy. Yeah. But everything else is just like little tiny, little, yeah. small, like I'm connecting things with the smallest possible connection I can, like mm-hmm. fuck, fuck France, fuck French bulldogs, yeah. fuck French Stewart. He's not even French. This yeah. is his fucking name. Fuck Patrick Stewart. They have the, you know, yeah, it's, it's just a small yeah. connection. One they, yeah. And then like, fuck yeah. that Stewart on that flight. That's yeah. not even the same fucking word. <laughs> they just yeah. sound the same, you know, it's, it's a, basically, it's a word yeah. association exercise that that's like turned into a bit and yeah. it's, and it just works. You're like the Eminem of comedy. <laughs> Do you ever, because you said Tyler gave you a, a, like a pointer on that or whatever. It happens to me 
it happened to me a few times where it's like, I'll do a joke and Tyler will hear it and he'll like, man, that's a great joke. And then like, try to give me some advice on it, which I do appreciate. And then I just get too self-conscious about it to even like try it anymore. I have one joke that Tyler like absolutely loves that I just don't do anymore because I'm like, I don't know if it's going to be good enough for Tyler now. <laughs> I don't know why I think, Hey Tyler, I don't know what I think of think about him that way but it's just like one of those things where it's like now there's an expectation of like this joke to always be good oh yeah so yeah tyler told me one time oh that's that's my new favorite joke of yours now and then i took it and interpreted it immediately and changed it into my head that's the only good joke you've ever written (laughs) 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 and i completely understand that too because i do i do shit like that also but yeah, this one, it was like a word association joke just like that about how like uh, like words can mean the same thing. Like if you have like a, a bad apple, it's a not good apple. If you say this apple tastes like ass, it's a not good apple. But if it's a badass apple, it's the best apple you've ever had. <laughs> I like that. And he's like, that dude, that joke's so awesome. I love it. And I haven't done it since he's told me that. <laughs> oh, man, I think I might have been there when you when you told that joke. I, you it sounds familiar. Yeah. 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 It was that panorama. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. I might have tried it at like one or two shows after that. And it was like, I just felt weird doing it. I don't know why, but it was just like, and then there was another joke years ago that he had like told me something about, I think it was about going to the gym or something like that. And like, ever since he like was like, man, it's a good joke. You know, I just, I can't do it anymore. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. I think you and I have a lot in common in terms of just being in our heads about yeah. stuff and, and kind it's, of needing to be grounded. You yeah. Know? Taking compliments is a weird thing also. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I started, we were talking about kind of mental health stuff and I definitely just to, just to recap, I definitely think you're right. The idea of encouraging somebody who's not passionate about stand up to just go try stand up as like a mental health exercise. It's like exposure therapy. And that is something that they, a lot of uh, therapists will do, mm-hmm. but that one in particular, I, I think Drew's pretty much covered it. it that's just I think, a terrible it, I think depending on the person, it can have devastating results yeah. Yeah. because we love comedy mm-hmm. and I mean, I've already, one time I went to the open mic at Panorama and I was the only one who showed up. So just me and Jacob each this, yeah. and it was seven minutes of people like, like some, a lot of times like it's, it sucks cause no one's paying attention, but I wish they had not been paying attention. Everyone was paying attention. Everyone was looking directly at me mm-hmm. and for seven minutes, no one laughed at anything I said. <laughs> And I went by myself, so I had to drive all the way home. And the whole way home, I was like, I'm going to fucking kill myself. Yeah. yeah. I was like, this is the worst. This is feel after all the like horrible things that have happened. Like people have actually died. Like I've had, I've had like real loss. But at this point, I was like, this feels like the worst feeling yeah. I've ever felt. It really is. Com- comedy so yeah, I, I think harsh. therapists should be kind of careful about who they shove into that. Yeah. For sure. You know, I have, I, I went through a period there, um, for several months where, uh, and I'm not saying I'm necessarily doing better on stage now, but I went through a period where the stage that I'm at in general as a comedian was so difficult that like every time I got off stage, we would be at a venue that would be like near a busy intersection. And I would be seriously (laughs) thinking about like, is there any really good reason why I shouldn't step out in front of that city bus? 
And that always ended up, you know, back with my daughter. And then it started getting like really real. Mm -hmm. And I had to realize that there was a point to this. It wasn't just supposed to be dark, (laughs) Um, but, oh, oh, okay. So, so so it, it is very, very challenging, but then recently, like even just this week, like I've, I've I've started working out and exercising stuff every day Mm -hmm. and I've been finding this week that if I start getting down about comedy and, and it starts leading me down this generally negative mental health downward spiral, there's something about physical activity. And I thought about you today because you will post videos about skateboarding. Mm-hmm. And I figured that's probably something you can do in your driveway like every day. Uh, that That's a fun thing that you can do that just um, probably requires all of your attention, mm-hmm. I would think. And yeah. so it's something that you can do that's very physical. It's, it's I mean, the fresh air is important. The sunlight in your eyes is important. The physical your, yeah, use your entire body for skateboarding, yeah, yeah. too. And so do you find that, um, first of all, do you find that physical activity, um, can help you to stay in a better, like having like some sort of normal physical routines of, of like some sort of fun activity can help you? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I, you can't tell (laughs) by looking at me. But I wake up at like five every morning and I do like 15 to 30 minutes of some kind of exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I eat like shit though. But then I, I skateboard like every day. I try to skateboard for at least 30 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And then usually at the end of the night, I'll go for a walk or something like that. And I'm like, ever since I started doing that about two years ago, I definitely have just like, I'm I'm, I'm more active. Like, I go to bed later than anyone in my house. I wake up before anyone in my house, but I'm fine with it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's all obviously going to be some, some days where I'm just like exhausted completely. But most of the time it's like, and I think all that is like attributed to like, because I am so physically active. Uh, and then just, yeah, just uh, like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with it. Cause I was about to go into like a, well, there was a few months at work where I was like, stuck at the desk and it got super depressed and yeah stuff like that. Mm-hmm. yeah but that shit sucks that that because it's like usually uh my job has me out in the field mm-hmm. driving around and i get the freedom to like listen to what i want to listen to uh and just kind of like i'm in the car i'm seeing things i'm outside all the time when i take my lunch breaks i'll like do some kind of physical activity walk or skateboard or something like that but then for a few months we had to stay in at our desks to do like a special project. And that was like, and my wife can probably tell you too. It was like, those were the days where it was like, I was getting off of work and I was like cranky all the time. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do anything. That was during the time where like I stopped doing comedy. Like it just wasn't a good time. Yeah. So, and then, and I was thinking about you too, Drew, cause you, you have a, a lot of opportunities in your work to, to get, I mean, to certainly be outside and to to be doing physical labor, but it's not quite the same. But I, I would think that even if it's not like aerobic exercise, that you're still, if you're working all day, do you find that you're able to have less like pent up tension? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's not as good a, a workout as like actually working out yeah. where you working out different muscles, you know? Mm hmm. Uh, you kind of work out, you're kind of working out whatever depend, whatever the task is you're doing, you're going to work out whatever muscles or whatever that that task 
requires. Requires. Yeah. So it's not as good as like exercising, mm -hmm. but the moving around is better. Like if yeah. I do have some, if I have some days where if I'm not working and if like I can, I can do the thing like on a Sunday, just sit in the house and like just fucking binge, binge watch TV all day. I can do that for a day. Right. That's it. Mm -hmm. After that, I can't like if I get sick where that's all you can do. Um, I suffer more from the depression, right, than I do from being sick, right? Yeah, I'll yeah. I'll start getting like if <clears throat> I'll set expectations for myself of like what I want to do that day. So like I wake up and I do my exercises, and I'm like, okay, for my lunch I'm going to be here, so I'm going to do this kind of physical activity. When I get off of work, I have this to do and this to do. Then I'm going to go for a walk, or I'm going to go skate. Or whatever. And like on the weekends, I'm like, okay, I'm going to this time and this time, like I'll set these expectations. And when something like gets in the way of doing that, I get super like mm -hmm. agitated and just kind of like anxious. Like I'll start pacing around my house and I'm like, I got to get out of here and do something. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And even just sometimes not even like, like the, like physical, uh, moving around helps a lot, but even sometimes just like to go outside. Right. You know, like yeah. even if um, for whatever reason, like let's say there's uh, some kind of holiday on Monday. Mm -hmm. So like even though I work for myself, I do a lot of work at people's houses. So like if they're off for work a lot of times, they don't really or, or I'll even make the decision because I don't like people looking at me while I'm doing stuff. <laughs> and uh, that can mean it's so a stand up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. But, but then they're like, you know. When I'm doing stand up, usually people aren't shouting at me, telling me, hey, what if you did the joke this? Way? But when you yeah. go work, that's what they'll. Sometimes they do that. They'll, yeah, sometimes, they do, but they'll start. I don't, I just don't like it. So I'll like take the day off. And sometimes I've had kind of the Sunday where kind of like do nothing Sunday. Can't do that that Monday too. Right. But if there's, if I don't really, if there's really nothing I feel like doing around the house or anything, just the move to like the back patio. And even though I watch TV all day, just the fact I'm on the back, which is normally it's very rare. Most of my days of not accomplishing anything are outside on the back patio mm. because um, I don't like the the inside, the dark house and all yeah. this. My wife it loves that. It's like being married to a fucking witch, man. She'll get upset, like, well, sometimes about lights being on, and I'm like, I'm in the room. Like, I can, like I can understand if no one was in the room, but I'm here, I'm because I'm, she's like, why is the light on? I'm like, I'm making a fucking taco in here. <laughs> that's funny, because that's how I am. I have... Oh, yeah, my wife does shit in the dark. Yeah, all, I, like, I'm like, how can I you see what you're doing? I do the same thing, though, because I'm, I'm like, it's mostly because I don't want to spend money on electricity, but... Like my whole house is always dark and I have mm -hmm. all the curtains shut like all the time. And then like on the weekends, like my wife will like, she'll be the one that'll like open up like our curtains and stuff. And I'm just like, it's going to get so hot in this house. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I used to get bad migraines. And so I used to love to, if I was worried, I was maybe going to get one. I would definitely um, <clears throat> like, you know, close the blinds and the curtains and everything and turn all the lights off and, mm -hmm. If it got real bad, I would wear sunglasses inside. 
because it's just these uh i don't know you guys ever have migraines mm, no Not so yet. i had these <clears throat> these migraine headaches before they start it's this weird visual disturbance where it looks like there's like a strobe light okay. uh somewhere that's just blinking in your it's never wherever your eyes are focusing it's always kind of somewhere outside in your peripheral vision and uh it's like for it'll do that for like 30 minutes and then all of a sudden like the nausea and the headache will come in all at the same time Mm -hmm. so yeah anything i can do to avoid that uh, i typically will but i really since i've been trying to take better care of myself that doesn't really happen anymore but i i will just to just recap what i was saying yeah I, i i've noticed even just in this week so far that one of the things i think when people go into a negative spiral um it's, I think I heard like a BetterHelp ad say something about this that I thought was interesting. They just they talked about how helping you get into problem solving mode as opposed to just catastrophizing mm-hmm. uh, about something. And so I've, I've already started to find that kicking in where I'm like, it's easier for me to be like, how do I think constructively about like, because I'm not happy with how that set went. How can I think more constructively and, and less just beating myself up? So, and I think that physical activities really made a difference. When you uh, exercise, do you listen to music or do you do it or like a podcast or do you do it silently? Uh, I have done all three Mm -hmm. um, and I can't figure out which one that I like the most. I I like shutting off the podcasts. Podcasts are just like always going and I I like when I turn them off because I need to be available to just have ideas pop into my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I've tried them all and I can't figure out which one works. Yeah. Yeah, I've worried about that for for like trying to have my brain available to come up with material. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I told like there's a lot of good that comes out of listening to like comedy podcasts. Mm -hmm. You can learn a lot of things from it. As for, from hearing other more um, experienced comedians talk, where you can kind of get a little shortcuts for stuff mm-hmm. that they had to learn the hard way that you can kind of learn from them. But when it comes to coming up to being a having my mind available to absorb new material, I have to turn it off mm-hmm. because. I can't use, you know what I'm saying? Like they're comedians, mm-hmm. like I can't use it. If, if anything that comes out of there, I can maybe sometimes get an idea whenever they're just talking about something and it can bring me into something completely different, which is fine. But for the most part, it's comedians saying funny stuff. Yeah. So none of it is usable because right. it's, I'm just, I would be stealing a joke. Right. It's better. I'll, sometimes I'll put on like, um, I'll just go try to find like the most obscure documentaries. Like why would someone make a documentary about that and try to watch stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Because then I think like maybe I'll be more likely to get a premise, like a good premise that no one would think about. Right. I guess this is kind of aligned with uh, what you're talking about, but have you ever listened to or watched like, um, instructional like how to like write jokes no anything like like jerry corley or like any of those people you know who that is he's the joke doctor because that was something that i did when i first like was kind of really getting into comedy and i was like okay let me learn more about joke structure and how to write and i started watching all these excuse me youtube videos and stuff like that and i think that actually messed me up more because Mm. it's like because and this is a dude 
Jerry Corley specifically, he would do uh like um he wrote for like the Tonight Show and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like all of his jokes were like structured the same way. Right. And he would talk about all the different like ways he comes up with his ideas and he would like show you how he can write like you know, 50 jokes within 10 minutes. Yeah, I think that like guy that. pops up on my Instagram. Yeah. It's like sponsored. Like, I don't follow him. He just pops up. Yeah. It's like, I tried to do that, and it was like, because I was trying to better myself in it, and it's just like, that didn't teach me anything. It just made it, like, so I was like taking jokes that kind of worked already that was like more in like my personality, my voice or whatever, mm-hmm. and I was trying to apply his rules to them, and it was just like, yeah, not working. Uh, I had kind of avoided stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Before I started doing stand-up, I, I would watch. I was a big fan. I'd watch a lot of stand-up and podcasts and all that. Like Every now and then, I would hear like a snippet of some of these people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I would I hadn't even done stand-up. And I would hear like just a little snippet of the information. I was like, that ain't, that's not fucking right. Yeah. I was like, because I can tell you right now, Louis C.K., like you can name every fucking comedian would argue with what you're saying right now. I know that even though I haven't done it. So I was kind of like, uh, this is kind of, and then now that I've been doing comedy and I've kind of seen who some of the people are that teach comedy Mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh yeah, you definitely should avoid the, the, that shit, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not to say that comedy can't be taught or learned that way, but it's, it's, I think more often than not, it's just a natural thing that you mm-hmm. kind of, it's something that you kind of have in you that you just hone over time. Like you learn how to make it work. Yeah. In like any setting. Yeah. Like I said, like, you know, that, like I mentioned earlier, like things comedians will say on podcasts where mm-hmm. it's like, they'll tell you a thing that they learned the hard way. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, that's a good, someone was saying, it might've been Whitney Cummings. I think, even though I'm not a huge fan, but she did say one thing I remember thinking, whereas like, um, going up doing a showcase, and there's already been like four or five comedians go up. Well, she saw this happen to someone else, and she was about to do, and she realized like, oh, I would have did the same thing. Guy goes up. There's been multiple comedians went up before him already. He's like, hey, how's everyone doing? And one guy's like, we're doing great. Yeah. I'm from Oklahoma. He's from Kentucky. Tell some fucking jokes. And she's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because everyone before him asked them how they were doing. Because mm-hmm. you're not thinking it's just a thing you say, but it's like, it's kind of like at a certain point, like it, it was getting to be for the audience. Mm-hmm. It was getting to be monotonous. And it's just, just get to it. It was, they were aggravated. At least this one guy was fucking aggravated enough. Yeah. But she was like, well, it's kind of hacky. And I think I hear it sometimes. I'll be like, at open mics at open mics or showcases and everything. And I'm like, this is the fifth fucking person to ask these people how they're doing tonight. You know? Yeah. That's something I heard a while, like a long time ago too, that I've made a conscious decision to like, okay, if I go up after a bunch of people, I'm not going to ask everybody mm-hmm. how they're doing. And that was, I don't know who I heard it from, but yeah. Yeah. And I think I even try not to do it at all really. Yeah. But I'm sure I probably do do it sometimes out of just nervousness or whatever, mm-hmm. but I kind of try not to do it at all because it's like, what what the why am I asking him in the first place? All it is is like you're just wasting time. Yeah, you know, I would rather have I would rather have like some kind of funny icebreaker to say, or just go into material. Yeah, than ask them how they're doing. Mm. It seems like it's almost always better to be able to 
have a successful riff at the top of your you're basically just mm-hmm. trying to establish in the beginning that you're funny. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of like I was saying at the beginning is like, I used to try to have like a one liner or something to do. And it's, I'm just not very good at like writing one liners, which is disappointing. But, uh, like the, the last Monday mic that we did, my buddy Eric went up and he did like probably a full minute of his set was like riffing off of other people's jokes. Yeah. And it was like, Nobody else was really doing good, but he was doing that, and it was like, it was working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joshua Jordan can do that very well too. Yeah, yeah. yeah jo- Josh is good. Hey, Josh, he wanted me to give him a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to. We need to have a uh, talk with the guest about that ahead of time. <laughs> so you got to talk about Tyler. And you got to talk about Josh. Jordan. Yeah. Or to stop talking about Josh. He's been getting to all the comedians <laughs> yeah. before. Once he leaves and he goes to Houston, uh, there's going to be like a rule on this show. No mm-hmm. more. He's, mm-hmm. He'll be dead to us. Yeah. Until we need to do some, we need yeah. a place to stay when we go to Houston. I don't, know if I don't want to bring up aliens again. <laughs> I was wondering if you were, cause yeah. I have seen a UFO before. <laughs> Oh yeah, well then we all uh, well. I mean, get into that then. All right, so, butt stuff or like? <laughs> well, no, not for me. Um, so, how old was I? I was probably like seventeen or eighteen. This is and this is true. It, <laughs> I was. Uh, it was me and my buddy Blair, and we're hanging out at this dude's house. It's like two or three in the morning, and he knows some chick that lives down the road. So he's like, "We're gonna go to this girl's house, and I'm gonna see if I can, you know." Do whatever. Prober. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we walk, you know, a couple blocks down the road and then he instantly like climbs in this chick's window and just leaves me outside. And I was like, guess I'm just going to lay here in the road, which is exactly what I did. And as I was laying in the road. I see this triangle formation pop up in the sky out of nowhere. And then one of the lights starts like swirling around and then another light starts swirling around. They all sink back up and just fucking disappear. When was this? Um, so if I was like 18 at the time and I'm about to turn 40, whatever that math is. <laughs> okay. Cause yeah, if you said that now, I've seen some absolutely amazing, insanely intricate light shows that were based on like a bunch of drones that were synchronized together to do yeah. that exact thing. And they can do insane animation with that. But 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. This was like before the drone stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is, and I shot up and I was like banging on that window and I'm like, I just saw a fucking UFO and I'm freaking out. And he's like laughing like, dude, I'm trying to fucking get laid. Yeah. I would be so pissed (laughs) if I'd be that guy. I was like, no, like this is way more important. (laughs) But, uh, and then, yeah. So, but I saw that and so, and I will tell everybody about it. I don't know if people believe me or not because it's a weird thing. And I don't know if, and what I looked it up because few years after that, I was watching some uh, something on like the Discovery Channel that was about UFOs. Mm-hmm. And that same exact thing that I saw was there was a video of it. And it was supposedly a like um, aircraft, like the military aircraft that was like in testing at the time. Now, what was it doing in Sulphur, Louisiana? Yeah, I don't know. But it had a name. It's like TB-318 or something like that. It's supposed to be one craft and it is a triangular shape. But what I saw and what you can see in the other videos is it's like three lights and then they'll start like I'm talking about like way off. Start like shooting and doing circles and spinning around and then like two of them be doing it and they all sink back up into a triangle 
and it disappeared. So now is that, I don't know if that's a part of the craft that was like flying away or if that's just like lights from the craft that they're like shooting off to do this or whatever. Yeah. But it was crazy. The other night, maybe it was Monday night or something, but just a few nights ago, Starlink had something to do. Like they had launched some uh, satellites or something and they were lining up and they had all kind of people on Facebook that they thought it was aliens Mm -hmm. because there's been so much shit about it in the news. Yeah, And even and even though I saw what I saw, I'm still pretty skeptical on if it's an actual like alien craft or because, I mean, I know that if it was like a military thing that they were, you know, and that's what the supposed debunked story is, is, but even that I'm still like, yeah, it's still pretty about. cool. Yeah. 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 Cause UFOs are not just aliens. It's no. just anything. You and, don't know what it is. And that was another thing too, about like the, the, uh, congressional hearing or whatever they just had about it. It's like, everything was so vague that this yeah. guy said mm-hmm. about it, where it's like, we found unhuman, like biological matter, on like some unidentified spacecraft that could literally be a drone that hit a bird. Yeah, none of that. And then it can be like, was there an alien in there? Exactly. Or was there alien DNA? Was there like just alien jizz in there? Like what is, you know, like biological material? Like what the fuck? Why don't you just fucking tell us? And, And I don't think they will. I mean, that's, Whatever that guy was saying was so vague, like you can interpret it to be anything. Yeah. And I think that was kind of like, and I don't, oh boy, I don't want to say it was like a distraction from something else or whatever. Like I am trying to get out of the conspiracy. Yeah, but that's not a conspiracy theory. I mean, that is a, that's something that's that's a thing that they do. They, um, it's fucking PR, it's marketing. There's a whole, there's a whole industry around distracting people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's a, that's not a conspiracy theory at all. They they don't they do d- distract people very often. Yeah, I'm completely open to the idea that that stories like this could be trotted out at just the right time to distract from something that's very real and very plausible. I'm like that's perfectly acceptable in in my opinion. Um, interdimensional stuff that's so complicated we couldn't possibly even hope to understand it. Mm-hmm. That's that's something mm-hmm. I'm completely open to. Uh, plain old biological life developing in another star system, bef- you know, millions of years before it did for us, seems perfectly plausible as well. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that that I sometimes get a little confused about, uh, like if you look at like the Tic Tac stuff, things that were seen in broad daylight with people's naked eyes, mm-hmm. that makes sense to me. But when it comes to the flashing lights in the sky at night. I'm always trying to think like if you had advanced technology that was good enough to get here from another star system, why would it need to have blinky lights on it? Yeah, we have stealth aircrafts yeah. here. Right. Yeah. So I never understood that part. Because they're fun. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my wife, we, we, I was telling her, catching her up on this stuff the other day. And I was telling about, um, I was describing the aircraft that. That guy from way back in the eighties was saying that like he had went in one and how mm-hmm. it was like obviously these are very small small beings and stuff because she was saying like I wonder like what would aliens look like what we think like skinny body big head mm-hmm. and I said I think they probably would I said because I think where they came from was like the way those crafts were built and stuff like that and the way that they would be more involved creatures. 
And uh, and I was like, I, I think it would be awesome if we actually got to see one, you know. And then depending on where they're from, they might look different, but whatever. Yeah. And she was like, yeah. She's like, you think like that like people would have them as pets? And I was like, what the fuck are you talking? Like, this is a, a, a very like highly sophisticated, advanced creature, like way, way more advanced than if, like we would be their pets, if anything, you yeah. know? Like they, why? Why do you think? I'll, I said, for like fifteen minutes, I looked for my phone the other day with the flashlight on my phone. <laughs> you know, like yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna dominate this, this thing. That's funny. That's, Have you guys seen Arrival? Oh uh, no, Amy Adams. Um, Have I seen that? Uh, Guillermo. Seen that. No, who, who's the guy that directed all the, um, the new, the reboot of the. Uh, Oh Jesus! Not Tron. What's that new movie? They just came out with a sequel. It's Timothy Chalamet, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, that actress from the Mission Impossible stuff. It's oh, yeah. it was an eighties movie that was based on a book. Mm-hmm. It was very popular back then. And then they just, Dune. Oh yeah. oh yeah yeah that's what it was. Okay. Um, anyway, the guy that directed Dune also directed Arrival. And Arrival is a really interesting, good movie that drives home the point of like the way that we try to think about aliens as just being the natural evolution of like you mentioned the big heads thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we we I guess when we um, evolved from what chimpanzees and, and homo sapiens had like a common ancestor back like however many hundreds of thousands of years. And then we our heads were getting too big in the womb. And so we had to start being born before we had fully developed. Whereas like some animals mm-hmm. come out of the womb and they're like pretty much ready to go. Uh, we have to, we have to be born early and then, you know, be very, very dependent on our, our mothers uh, because of our heads are too big. Mm-hmm. So the natural evolution of that is mm-hmm. to smaller bodies and bigger heads. But I think that arrival did a pretty good job of, of trying to break out of that mold and to get people to understand that if it developed in another star system, there are parts of the, just in our Milky Way galaxy, there, there are environments that are so chemically different than they are here. And so even if it's a carbon based life form, I think that job, that movie does a pretty good job of breaking us out of this thought that it's just going to be something kind of similar to like an advanced version yeah. of us, you know, they yeah. could, their language and the way that they think would just be so foreign to us that we would never mm-hmm. be able to conceptualize. Yeah. It. It's crazy to, when people try to think about looking for like signs of life on other planets or like even signs that there was life at one time, they always try to look to see if there was water or if there could have at some point been an atmosphere that whole oxygen. Mm-hmm. Like, you're looking for life over here on other planets. Yeah. Like, another planet, I mean, I don't know enough about, I'm probably talking out of way above what I know, but it seems to me, especially planets out of this solar system, they would have a completely different periodic table. So mm-hmm. wouldn't the life forms also live off a different like they wouldn't necessarily need oxygen or water to live like we don't know what would sustain their life yeah you know that's why a quiet place is kind of interesting too yeah because see that those, those crazy aggressive aliens that they had um they were able to survive on a meteor that was traveling across you know the galaxy 
or possibly even you know from other galaxies and and be alive uh in order to crash on this planet and then you know terrorize and kill everybody so yeah it's just interesting to to open your mind and think about just how i think multiversal uh movies anything that deals with like a multiverse they Mm -hmm. do a pretty good job of that too just letting your imagination go and just think like how how weird could it get yeah like like different dimensions and stuff too yeah yeah Yeah. i had a friend one time tell me something like that because i was going through this weird phase where it was like i kept thinking i was seeing stuff like in my peripheral vision all the time and mm-hmm. so i was like real jumpy yeah doing like that and i was like talking to my friend i was like dude it's so i don't know what it is and he was like you're seeing people and i was like what are you talking about and he was like they're just popping in from other dimensions and he was like completely serious about it and i was like jesus what if you're fucking right <laughs> yeah i'm gonna start saying that to people <laughs> yeah and like yeah. he just said it so kind of like he just he meant it and i'm sure he still believes that but yeah. it was just like it blew my mind because I never thought about that, but it's just like, what if that is like when you think you see something off here, that's just like somebody accidentally popped into our dimension. Like, oh shit, this isn't mine. <laughs> yeah, it's leave. like Rick and Morty. Yeah. <laughs> so. But uh, yeah, so that's wild to think about. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, you know how we wrap up the episode. And so um, I always like to go through it just so that if somebody's hearing it for the first time, it's not out of context. So we like to ask our guest uh, this hypothetical question to try to ascertain what is it in your life that is as important to you as comedy to where you would choose comedy over it, but it would be a really, really tough decision. And I first stumbled across this for myself when I was just going about my errands and, and I was walking into a store and I thought, you know, being good at comedy is so important to me that if, if I would probably trade something that would shock people uh, if they knew. So like, what would that be? What would be an example of that? And I, I realized that in that moment, if I had to never have sex with another person ever again, but in exchange for that, uh, in some sort of deal with the devil scenario, uh, I would make a deal and give up like ever having sex with another person so that I could have all of my wildest dreams in comedy come true. Would I do that? And it was like, you know what? I think I would, I think I would, but I know that's not always going to be the case, but everybody's got something. It may not be sex, but there's probably everybody's got something that's like, that's tough for them to think about giving up, but they would gun to their head. They would give it up to, to have just, you know, the dream comedy experience. So I know you've listened to the podcast. You've had the opportunity to hear a lot of other people answer this question. So you've had time to think about your answer. Mm. Um, What do you think that would be for you? I have thought about it, honestly. Uh, my children. No. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, it's, it can't be skateboarding. I know mm-hmm. we talked about that. That is just like, cause I've only been doing that for a few years now, but it's just like, I at one point wanted to stop doing comedy just so I could skate more. Wow. So, and I'm old and not even good at it. So, but, uh, it would, and I know, I think, was it, did Jason say music? Mm-hmm. Jason did, and then uh, Dwayne did. Yeah. Now, mine would be playing music, though, because mm-hmm. I still want to listen to music. Yeah. But I played music from the time I was 11 till I was like 31. Yeah. It was like the main thing. That was like all my identity was like, I was in bands all the time. I was out playing shows and doing all that stuff. But I would never touch a guitar again if I could do, and 
here's what's sad about this is my comedy goals isn't even being famous. Mm-hmm. It's like making minimum wage telling yeah. jokes, but mm-hmm. just something or at least something enough to sustain, you know, a yeah, like if I could not have to go to work, yeah. that would be just, I wouldn't even have to be like making a crazy living. If I could do my obligations and, mm-hmm. Yeah, just focus on yeah. like getting the right jokes, and then I can still fine. Like yeah. pay a couple bills. I would still have to have my wife's income. Uh, yeah, she's still going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean that. I, like I have I I have guitars all around my house, and I just randomly pick them up and I play, and I still try to learn new stuff. But I would not. I think I could put it away and mm-hmm. never worry about it again. Yeah, because so, that's how I thought I would never. I thought I was always going to play music like in a band because I did it for so long. And then the last band that I was in, like once we called it quits, I was like, I don't ever want to be in a band again. And I like, I've written songs with some people since then, but I haven't been in a band. And I think like if somebody came up to me, and was like, look, we want to take your comedy to the next level. And you know, this is going to be it, but you just can't touch the guitar. Fuck it. I'm never touching a guitar again. As a person who's who's done that for a living, I can tell you, um, I've I've gotten very mixed feelings about your answer. Uh, <laughs> because on the one hand, I know that it just keeps coming back to me, no matter how many years I set it down. Uh, like just you know, like a, a year ago, I was just randomly started putting like covers of guitar solos on YouTube, just random stuff like Bohemian Rhapsody or whatever, and so it just keeps coming back. But at the same time, like you asked me earlier, if I listen to music when I work out and stuff mm. and dude, I, there's a lot of times when I'd rather sit in silence and listen to music and it doesn't matter what the music is mm. uh, because music was so important to me for so long. And I wanted to be throughout my twenties. I was very serious about being a recording artist. Um, I made a, I self-produced it. Well, I didn't self-produce, but I self-funded uh, an EP project and uh, was getting some attention from some people in Nashville. It was something that was very, very important to me when I met my wife. That's what I was in the midst of doing. And when it really crashes and burns for you, you know, like when it just goes epically wrong, mm-hmm. um, especially if you get a taste of what it's like to have people in the industry pay attention to you and then they just kind of stop calling. Yeah. It has been music has been like a contentious thing for me ever since then. So it's like on the one hand, it feels like it would be hard to give up music, but on the other hand, I'd almost be like happily giving up music. You know what I mean? I think I'm on that side right now. And it's in, so it's been about 10, no, I guess maybe eight years or so since I was last in a band, but that was like my last ditch effort to try to do something. Cause I had been like, and it's, I've, I've played like metal and punk and stuff like that. Uh, but it was just like all DIY shows all the time, like traveling all over the United States, playing in dirty bars and stuff. And it was fun. And I never thought I was going to make like a killing doing it, but it was just like, yeah, maybe I can record some stuff, do studio work or whatever. But the last band that I was in, we actually started like gaining traction and doing cool stuff. Like we were on the X games and we were opening for like bigger name bands and like between like Houston and like uh, Florida and stuff like that. We were doing some pretty cool stuff. And but we were all in our thirties when that started happening. And, uh, it just like one of the members in the band was like, 
you know, like, because we're all like having kids and families and stuff. Yeah. And one of the guys was just like, Hey, I got to take a job like in Tennessee. And we had just set up like a string of shows and we were talking to like a bigger band, like to support them on tour and stuff like that. And we had to shut all that down because of that one dude. And it was just like, when I stepped away from that, I was like, I don't want to put up with this kind of shit anymore. Mm-hmm. And, but like I said, I still play like a little bit here and there, but I just don't have that passion for it anymore. Like yeah. it just, it just, so. Do you ever find yourself as a comic thinking, thank God, like as much as we all kind of live and die by our own work and that can be kind of a, a tough thing to have to do things by yourself when it's going bad. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think about how much better it is to be a comic than it is to be in a band? Cause you don't have to worry mm-hmm. as much about other people. <laughs> that was, that was the exact thought. Like when I started doing comedy, but that was, uh, so when I started doing comedy, I had just turned 30, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I hadn't been in a band for a while and I got a dove right into comedy. I was like, cool. I'm, this is solo. I don't have to worry about doing any of this stuff. Cause when I was playing, I was booking all the shows and doing that stuff myself for a whole band. And it's like, I had to make sure five other people were cool with doing whatever I came up with. And then I was like, yeah, that's exactly what you said. I was like, I'm doing this by myself. Great. And then after doing that for about a year is when I joined that last band mm-hmm. that I was like, all right, this is my last ditch, my last ditch effort. And then that, once that band like ended, it was like a sour taste. And then that was like right after that band ended, I was like dove right back into comedy. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to, this is it. I don't want to put up with anyone else. But the weird part about it though, is like even like a bad show in a band is still better than a bad show as a comedian mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i because, would think yeah. yeah because i mean that's the thing like if if i play badly on stage like there's still four or five other people there that can like carry it yeah mm-hmm. carry it you know and then but if you do badly on stage solo like trying to make people laugh <laughs> nope that is not good yeah man so. yeah for sure yeah. And and comedy is fun because there are like there's certain acti- activities where it's not just solo. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's roast where you can do stuff together. There's improv. So it is fun. Like we each have our own thing to that we do, but then we can both do it together or like in a group even. Yeah. You know, there's certain shows where we can do our comedy together and mm-hmm. kind of bounce off each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Roasts are fun. Yeah. Well, not roast battles. And I think you said the same thing. Yeah, I think I like a roast better there cuz yeah. you write a, a like a you you write yeah. a set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not good at roast battles. Now, speaking of roast battles, uh let's talk about dates. Do you have any dates to plug? I do. Um, I don't know when this is going to come out, but besides the open mics that I'm doing, I have uh I looked it up earlier and now I forgot how my phone works. Let's see. I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, August 12th, for sure, is going to be at Library Riot with um, Zach Reinhardt. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, obviously Jacob's putting that on. Mm-hmm. And then I'm doing the, I think it's August 31st. That's going to be with Tyler and, uh, is it Neil Rubenstein? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm supposed to do the September 24th show in Lake Charles at library, right? With Jacob and Jeff die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fucking awesome. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, 
well, there's one more that hasn't been confirmed yet, so I'm not going to say it. But okay. just those shows for now, and then yeah, don't put out misinformation on our podcast. <laughs> <That's> right, <sorry>. <laughs> <clears throat> We're working hard to get the story yeah. on aliens correct here. Yeah, <laughs> no, <they're> just <laughs> those three for sure. They're all at Library Riot in Lake mm-hmm. Charles, so gotcha. no, nobody else is trying to book me. So. Very cool gig. So it's 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 good to have uh, friends. Um, so, what about your social handles? Uh, I mean, I got Facebook. That's just my name, Chase Bonin. Uh, I have two different Instagrams, one for comedy, that's C.A.B.O.N. And then one for skateboarding and goofy shit, that's Poser Dad. And then uh, I had Twitter that is currently X, <laughs> but I'm never on there. And then, so I don't even remember what my Twitter handle or X handle is whatever and then i tried what is it stitched or stitches or whatever it's called is that the new thing i don't know there's like threads threads that's what it's it like is. facebook's version yeah. of you can see Twitter how, or whatever how good i am with this uh i do have a threads do i post on it no <laughs> so mainly just facebook is where i talk most of the shit and then instagram yeah i'm pretty much it's just faith i don't it's it's tough, man. It's just like music. Like when you you reach a certain point in your age where you kind of got just lo- you you lock in your musical taste and you're yeah. not really as open to new stuff. It is very difficult for me to think about all the different social media mm-hmm. platforms. Around. That was I remember specifically telling my wife about Threads. That's what it was, and I was like, I'm gonna get on it. I'm just gonna try to get ahead of the curve, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna like uh. I got, you know, that was my plan. And I think I even made a post in there where it was like, I'm going to be trying stuff that failed on like Twitter and shit like that. <laughs> and then it's just another thing where you're just like screaming into the yeah. nothingness right. and nobody's paying attention to you. I was like, you know what? At least five people are like my Facebook post. So I'm going to go back there. <laughs> Well, Chase, uh, I'm really glad that you were able to come and, and, you know, we say this to people, but it's always true. It's always such an honor for us to be able to have you as a guest, knowing that you were willing to drive in just for this. You know, it, it's so much more intimate conversation when you're able to look somebody in the eye. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, and I've, I've learned that we actually have a lot in common. I mean, I always kind of sense that. But I, but I, I, I sense we're kindred spirits in a lot of ways. And, and it's, it's been great. And uh we we're gonna have you back obviously and um yeah i'm glad to hear you got all those library riot shows uh book that's that's fucking cool man and uh yeah uh hope you guys enjoyed this content and you keep plugging away at it and we'll see you next week <laughs>